This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for content creators like you to bring your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Head to storyblocks.com slash 302010. That's storyblocks.com slash 302010. And let them help tell your story. Ray Liotta just wants to be friends. Adam Sandler gets rich. And Seth MacFarlane is a bear. This week on 302010. Hello, everyone, and welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's weekly pop culture time machine, telling you all the cool stuff that happened 30, 20, and 10 years ago. We're talking movies, TV, video games, music, and more. We're recording during the week of January 24th through the 30th right now, and we'll be covering 1992, 2002, and 2012 during that period, and it is packed. It is with movies, at least. It is a great time for movies in the summer, obviously. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? Puck rocking king of Tampa, Diana Goodman. <laughs> and I'm J.R. Rawls. And as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a psycho cop. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot wait to get into that a little bit. But yes, we'll be looking at the world 30, 20, 10 years ago. Got to thank our patrons off the top, of, up, right off the bat. Patreon.com slash LazerTime. We got an ET show up for you featuring all of us and some guys from Talking Terrific Television. Because Diana's Classic Corner inspired a whole string of podcasts now because of how great the summer of 82 was 40 years Dude, ago this week bitches mm-hmm. we could talk for six hours yeah. about yeah what comes out in classic corner just this week. not an exaggeration and i if i'm not mistaken one of in a the weird world we live in one of those movies from 40 years ago was in the top 10 at the box office this week yeah. In 2022. Yeah, there was a re-release. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But I saw I saw people complaining it was not released in the proper aspect ratio, and that's oh, dude. bullshit. Dude. Uh, yeah, I think Universal has always widened their films to fit your televisions rather than their little original letterbox presentation for theaters. But, like, I like that. I like not having the bars there. It fits my TV. Um, I re-watched both of them, mm-hmm. and... Me yes, too. my fear of defibrillators continues every time. <laughs> Moving back into 3020. Patreon.com slash later time. Five bucks, bunch of movie commentaries, bunch of extra shows. Moving on. January 24th to the 30th, 1992. Let's get started with T3. A little bit of news to bring you into the world of what's happening 30 years ago. Uh, the Supreme Court rules soliciting money can be banned at airports. That's yep. destroying the joke in airplanes. That's the only thing I thought of because I, I am too young to really remember this. But he flips over the Hare Krishna because I, I saw the joke in one other thing. Yeah, that was a stereotype of airports. There'd be Hare Krishnas hanging out, trying to tell you the good word and soliciting money. And most of us have never seen that. Yeah, yep. yeah. It lives on in my memory solely from jokes like this and in The Simpsons. But yeah. uh, it disappeared when I was fairly young. But before then, yeah, it was a regular appearance. Yeah. And uh, also in a little bit of American law, outlawed since 1975, Pay toilets return to New York City. I don't know what I've read so many articles for and against this. It, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, yeah. In 1970, there were 50,000 pay toilets wow. in the U.S., but a series of lawsuits uh, made them illegal for a while. And then some states went, OK, we can do this. Some states didn't. But yeah, yeah. Basically, people need to pee. Uh, the upkeep and care of toilets isn't free, 
And if your city is cash strapped, you may want a place you can pee. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, but then the problem is they're kind of expensive to put in because the ones they have now, oh, like man. they have they have a timer, the door will automatically open so you can't sleep in there. Yeah, you know they they clean themselves, so they cost like a hundred something grand to oh, install. Wow. I've tried to use pay toilets in San Francisco, the big public pay toilets. Never, never, never. Uh, yeah, if someone goes in before me, either they're taking a homeless shower or they're shooting up, and yep. I'm standing around waiting for 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. But no, we need more of them. We need a freaking ton of them. That's pretty much what they became. They became a place to do drugs in in the open, in private, and they had to build things that sprayed water on people to get them out. It, like So, like... Yeah. Maybe there's other ways we can address this issue that aren't squirting people in paid bathrooms. Oh, move. Maybe maybe we can have we can do public toilets with toilet attendants like they do in Europe where you got to you got to pay some little old lady who's knitting. And if you don't pay her, <laughs> oh my god, they get so mad. Okay, I was thinking about a much you know, fancier. You down and scream at you in German. I don't have any experience in this. I was thinking about a much fancier bathroom attendant, but uh, I, I can dig that. Uh, other bit of news: Former Prime Minister uh, Margaret Thatcher joins the House of Lords as Baroness Thatcher of Kesteven. Yeah, I didn't have much time to research this. I don't understand why some prime ministers get to become lords and some do not. As far as I can see, it's just whoever has the political clout to make it happen yeah right now the house of lords is some bullshit and who they elevate <laughs> is some bullshit right now literally right now they're elevating the guy who's the, been the editor of the daily mail for a billion years and he is human trash <laughs> i'm sure his family loves him very much but he is a bad person who has done bad things to britain and in our final bit of news. I don't know how the House of Lords makes no sense to me, and it sucks. Final bit of news. It's boring, but I like tech news, and I sort of never knew this. Dell unveils its lower priced PC, which is very not low priced given the year, the Dimension Line. Dell's Dimension Line continues, and I never knew that was a line introduced to tell the public this is cheaper than a regular Dell laptop. I We're going to have, have a ever... movie about cheap lap or cheap computers later. Ooh, okay. Sweet. Have you ever seen the parody of Dell computers that it's they there's this commercial that's uh, trying to parody all those job movies we were getting after he died. And it was all about the guy who made <laughs> Dell computers. And it's all about it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Make it boxy. Make it boxy. More boxy than that. I want it to survive no longer than 18 months. If it does, it's a miracle. <laughs> People of a certain generation have very strong, large toes because that's how we turn on our computers. <laughs> uh, and then finally moving on, to, not finally, but moving on to movies, Batman Returns. If you didn't hear last week's episode, holy Lord, did we go off on Batman Returns. What a delight. What the Still fuck? number one. Um, but we have some new movies here. And I just wanted to mention, because it's one of my favorite movies and has not one, but two remakes, retellings coming out, Pinocchio is out in theaters this summer 30 years ago for the last time it's ever oh. been in theaters that's how disney made pinocchio was a bomb after snow white and slowly made its money back by re-releasing eight times throughout uh the last century and it does so for the last time in 1992 and it's it's in the top 10 at the box office right now well, yeah yeah every generation of new kids it's new to them if it hasn't been on vhs mm -hmm. uh then it's just like hey let's go see this cartoon you've never seen it and you no, got my parents are psyched about it so okay you got robert zemeckis's odd semi-terrible looking disney plus version coming out and uh guillermo del toro's version for netflix which looks far more intriguing and possibly true to the source material 
Movies out this week include also include Gas Food Lodging with Brooke Adams, Feruza Balk, Ion Sky, and James Brolin. Yeah, this is it's a good movie. I feel like it's more important than it is good. Like it comes mm-hmm. up in a lot of discussions of the indie movie boom of the early 90s. Indie movies getting taken seriously, getting to see larger audiences because it's written and directed by Allison Anders, mm. who we, in 1992, still not a lot of female filmmakers. Yeah. And making personal films that do really well at uh, festivals, get picked up, actually go to theaters a bit that do really, really well on VHS. Yeah. And, and, and uh, yeah, this is uh, it's a good one. I mean, it's a personal story of, you know, a single mom and her two daughters struggling with becoming teenagers and what do they want to do with their lives? Uh, it's kind of Feruza Balk sort of returning more as uh, more of a teenager instead of being a child actor. And, and uh, the teenager feels like a real teenage girl to me. It's very easy to have this uh, stereotype or this movie version of teenagers, especially women teenagers, I feel. Uh, but this mm-hmm. just doesn't go there. It seems more honest and trying to tell its truth. Yeah. Yeah. It just it feels it's one of those movies that just feels like a slice of life. Just really well done. So, yeah. Gas Food Lodging. Gas Food Lodging and, and doing well on VHS. And theatrical re-releases are a great segue into something I'm just going to let Diana go nuts on. <laughs> Michelle Yeoh, and it, who's just, everything everywhere all at once is available for rent on demand. She, that movie's so amazing. So wonderful. Uh, so and she's good. amazing in it. And it's hard to believe she's doing this kind of stuff 30 years after the fact. Jackie Chan in Super Cop. Yep. Sort of. Super Cop, a.k.a. Police Story 3. Police Story 3. Directed... Well, Jackie Chan directed the first two police story movies, and then this one is picked up by Stanley Tong, who might be a better, better director. Uh, he also did Rumble in the Bronx for Jackie Chan a couple of years from now. This fucking movie, man. This fucking movie. This is one of the best damn action movies. I, yes. I think it's one of Jackie Chan's best movies. I yeah. would have to I, agree. I uh, have zero experience with the Super Cop or uh, Police Story series. This was my first experience to it. And it really feels like it's Jackie Chan's version of Indiana Jones. This character is very globetrotting. He starts off in Hong Kong. He goes to mainland China, which in 1992 are utterly different places. Mm. Uh, Ends up and then ends up in Malaysia. And you just see him go through all of these adventures. And at the very end, you see a blooper reel of all these stunts. And you can't help thinking, how is he not dead about 10 times per second watching those bloopers? Yeah, and it's the same with Michelle Yeoh, which is, this is not like her debut. She'd been around for a little bit, but this is definitely her moving up to the big leagues. I think she it's also did Breakthrough. Yes, yeah. Madam, which I recommend because it's her and Cynthia Rothrock, both kicking ah. the shit out of people. I love her. But yeah, so he's he's a, a super cop and he's got to go break up this gang. And Michelle Yeoh also has to break up this gang. She's also a cop. A bunch of it filmed in Malaysia, which is where Michelle Yeoh's from. So that's kind of nice. She actually gets to, and um, she jumps a motorcycle onto a moving train yeah. and then drives across the moving train. Yeah, it's an unforgettable sequence. Yeah. And at the very end, the bad guy dies by getting hit by an exploding helicopter and then run over by a train. <laughs> so he, he, he's not like a super villain or anything. He's just a regular just a guy. Dude, so that is a dead, 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 dead dude. Just yeah, a guy. And there's some crazy helicopter stunts in this too. Like that helicopter is just like cruising along a city street. It's like five feet off the ground and there's cars yeah. driving by what the f- 
fuck? And yeah, people are jumping onto moving cars. People are jumping onto moving trains, onto moving buses. Onto, it's, yeah. I When this finally came out in the US, right. I think after Rumble in the Bronx, we got kind of a run of previous Jackie Chan movies that hadn't come out in the US. And this one was basically marketed as Jackie Chan and Lady Jackie Chan. And that is so fucking true. Yeah. Michelle Yeoh is insane. And, and, and thanks to those deals, because that's why I thought it was important to mention along with Pinocchio, because I know attentive listeners hear Super Cop and like, 92? That doesn't sound right. And yeah, in my, I knew, who, I'm not going to pretend I, I knew a lot about Jackie Chan. I knew who he was and maybe saw one of his movies. But when Rumble in the Bronx was released, I, I've never seen anything like that in my lifetime. They started re-releasing his films in theaters in completely different orders. Drunken Mass, like a movie from the 70s is re-released in theaters and hits the top three at the box office because of of us just being able to discover Jackie Chan. Even though video, mom and pop video stores were there for us. We just didn't pay attention. So Mm -hmm. Super Cop comes out in theaters four years later, distributed by a major American distributor, meaning you can find this Super Cop Police Story 3 way easier than the other police stories because it's still yeah. in perpetuity falls in the line of American distribution. Easily and available. I don't rent. think anything like that could ever happen again. You know, if there's some action star or uh, movie series around the world, it's just going to end up on your streaming service. Yes. Uh, it's not ever going to Most really... streaming services are locking down global rights for everything they produce originally mm-hmm. because it's been stupidly complicated for years and it really didn't need to be. But, you know, we wouldn't have awesome Gamera dubs without it. Uh, Super Cop, <laughs> dope. Dude, Super Cop, lock of the week, man. And we have some really good movies, but pretty decent crap. movies. If you, have, if you haven't seen Super Cop. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think that is the best movie of the week. I And I wrote down a silly three-sentence semi-recommendation for the next film, uh, biggest movie of the week. What if Cable Guy wasn't a comedy? What if Jim Carrey wasn't abusing his power as a cable installer, but was a cop? And then what if Jim Carrey was Ray Liotta? Holy shit, <laughs> I had to see this because I just completely missed it. Deborah Offner, Ken Lerner, Roger E. Mosley, Madeline Stowe, Ray Liotta, and Kurt Russell in Unlawful Entry. They called a cop. I'm going to make sure that your block's patrolled all night long. No, they can't get rid of him. Well, I got a cop who wants me out of the way because he wants my wife. I know I shouldn't be here. How do I get a cop off my back? You listen to me. You stay away from her. Stay here and lock the door. Unlawful entry. Rated R. Yeah. So I want to declare 1992 the year of the stalker. Okay. We yeah. we started the year with Hand That Rocks the Cradle. <laughs> we also right? had Poison Ivy. Now we have Unlawful Entry. Coming up, we have Single White Female and The Bodyguard. All wow. 1992. Yeah. Wow. It's- was there anything that was re- in probably 1991 or 90, given the uh, l- latency between making a script and making it into the theaters that caused stalking to just like explode in popular consciousness? <sighs> you would so, have to imagine, right? Yeah. Like, um, and just because part of the stuff that happens here, like some of the stuff does happen in Cable Guy. A yeah. person interfering oh. in your life and, tra- and canceling your credit cards and turning your family against you. Gas, like gaslighting to the absolute volcanic extreme. Yeah. You know what I think it is? Hmm. Uh, I think it might be the murder of Rebecca Schaefer in 1989. All right. Mm-hmm. I don't know that. Yeah. Be. Re- Rebecca Schaefer was on a TV show called My Sister Sam. 
right. um, with Pen Do- Pam Dauber, and she was stalked and murdered by a creepy fan. Right. I remember yeah. us covering that. Uh, it's in the yeah. archive, everyone. Uh, and now it's Ray Liotta. And I got to say, this isn't a great movie. I was dying to watch it because Ray Liotta just died. And if you've never seen... I'm going to trust that you've seen Goodfellas. If you've never seen something wild, like yeah. a, a true psychotic performance from Ray Liotta. I thought that's what we were going to get here, but he actually plays it a little lighter and less menacing than that role. So I, I thought I was going to get him as a from something wild as a cop. It's not that. Kurt Russell could be anybody. It's not a great movie, um, but it's, you know, there's a lot worse you could do if you're really dying to watch something this week from 1992. Yeah, well, like yeah. as, a, as a stalking idea, like every stalker movie, you know, someone goes to the cops and then like, there's nothing we can do. Mm-hmm. And then maybe eventually towards the end, like the cops start to take it seriously, mm-hmm. but it's too late. And, and this one, it's like, yeah, he's a cop. He can get away with yeah. fucking everything. He can forge paperwork. He can plant drugs. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like his how, word over yours. You stop him. You talk to his, his, uh, his partner. And I, his, I, I didn't his, think he... his supervising officer. Surprise. They... He's going to like kill them or ruin their lives too. They revealed it in the clip. I wasn't sure what his motivation was at all, other than being obsessed with Kurt Russell until like sort of partway towards the end, it's clear he's in love with Madeline Stowe, also named Karen, which he never screamed. I really wanted him to. Why did you do that, Karen? Karen, put the gun down. I love you. (laughs) You you know, also talking about Kurt Russell for Mm -hmm. a second, you know, Mm. when we think of him these days, I feel like his genre films, Escape from New York, Big Trouble in Little China, and a classic corner one we're going to talk about, just overshadow his regular acting gigs, which in 1992, that's what most audience would have known him for. That would have been his wheelhouse. I suppose. He also was a huge child star. So I, I, and, 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 you know, family business, all that stuff. But I, I, yeah, I'm not sure how much, how much the mainstream culture knew about Kurt Russell because he did play a lot of like everyman roles. Like he doesn't do anything special. He's a victim of something. He rarely was a mainstream action star other than when John Carpenter used him to great effect. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's coming off a of backdraft and Tango and Cash. Yes. But just he's, you know, he's a pretty generic firefighter, you're right, pretty you're generic right. cop. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Unlawful Entry, very well-made movie, competent. It's just like, I thought it was going to go a little more extreme at every mm-hmm. second. And it just never, everything was like kind of super rational. Oh, he's just in love with his wife. I wanted to be upset, like just a vendetta from the past. Cause it looked like he was upset. Kurt Russell is a rich nightclub entrepreneur which is like just not a relatable character <laughs> like at all i just have too much hookers and too much yeah. blow guys yeah. guys partying it's a real problem partying is my job and business is a booming and, <laughs> and uh unlawful entry though it's uh for rent i couldn't find it streaming anywhere for free 1992 television oh i don't want to get gross uh club ntv ends which, for if there's listeners older than us, American Bandstand, daily on MTV. You just dance to new, real people dancing to new songs instead of showing the music video, which I never saw the point of. And that ends as MTV's The Grind debuts. They are the same show. They are okay. the same show. I- there is no difference between these except maybe they changed a few hosts. I couldn't tell. I just watched a little bit of each on YouTube and they literally use the exact same. Now, set. hold on here. The biggest difference for me was every summer MTV would have a beach house or go to Club La Vila in Panama City. And in a world without midday titillation and internet porn, 
I remember getting off the phone with my guy friends because like parents aren't home, the grind is on, and it's the swimsuit edition. I'll see you in 15 minutes. This barely constitutes entertainment, but it was women in bikinis dancing for half well, an hour. Basically, this fills the niche of if you want to go to a club and only watch other people have fun while not having any fun yourself. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's, it's a fucking screensaver. It, it, it doesn't belong on television at all. Because, uh, you know, at least American Bandstand, like, well, this is may, maybe the only time you're going to access this music. If it's if Dick Clark plays it, we don't live in that world anymore. You don't need to wait for MTV to play your favorite song with visual accompaniment. Anyway, moving on to something even more of an affront to television. Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures premieres on Fox, courtesy of Deke Entertainment. Oh, I wanted to like this so much. That was bad. I mean, 1992 JR was so psyched. I was so into Bill and Ted at this time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were coming off. Uh, Bill and Ted's bogus journey. And it was like, oh my gosh, they nailed it a second time. Let's see what this television show is going to And even the the cartoons, the cartoons were not bad and featured the voices of George Carlin, Alex Winters, and Keanu Reeves. They they were happy to participate in at least one season of it. A live action Bill and Ted. Yes. I I am very, very confused right now. Six episodes, like seven episodes. At this time, there is both a cartoon. Mm Mm-hmm being shown about bill and ted and premiering just now is a live action bill and ted's television show and Uh. alex winter just slams the show (laughs) as he should should. we got a clip though have you have you seen any of this new live action yeah how 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 does it look is it (sighs) well uh i don't know can i say this is gonna be on this network it's not is it uh it doesn't matter you can just tell the truth that's okay i'm gonna stare right into that camera until it uh it stinks ladies and gentlemen I don't know what to say. I could have lied. They really missed the boat. But the cartoon is cool. (laughs) And and he's and he's right. And it's it's not totally the fault of the production, but Keanu Reeves and Alex Winters aren't acting like themselves. They're playing they're playing characters to the rafters and bringing in two unknowns to basically do impressions of them one year after Bogus Journey. Which is elaborate and hilarious and weird. This is cheap as fuck. It feels cheap. It feels wrong. It feels like a ripoff. And it's one year after the biggest thing Bill and Ted ever did. It's a huge yeah. step down. And it, 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 I tried to watch like a full episode. It just felt like a total affront all the way around. I'm so confused why they wouldn't just keep going with the cartoon where you can, you know, they did because it's a time travel thing. So yeah. it's right. I think overall it's cheaper. You don't have to build sets. You don't have to hire actors and put them in makeup and costume and it's, it's also, no one asked for this because this is 1992 and no one values cartoons cartoons yeah. are a vehicle to sell sugary cereal and it was That's brought to you by a cartoon maker deke entertainment the house mm-hmm. of inspector gadget as no one calls it uh they had the rights to bill and ted and didn't make much live action stuff but utilized that they're a kids production studio so having this not good pale comparison show with a children's production house on in prime time didn't sit right for anybody it was canceled pretty quickly yeah. but i remember just watching it with my friend and like so excited when it was starting and then just our faces just like falling <laughs> within the first five yeah. minutes and super just, disappointing super disappointing i don't think we watched a single episode other than the very first one mm-hmm. uh, they played around with the bill and ted rules some they could now enter fictional magazines and there's one scene when they uh, encounter an old lady from a black and white photo 
and they bring her to the modern day and she's now in black and white living in the modern day so they they could have had an interesting run if it was a better show but it wasn't uh the other real interesting thing is by your typical 1992 fox standards i really do think this clip has bill and ted being pretty understanding about transgenderism no mona you don't understand i don't feel angry I feel pretty. Got a dress on under his clothes. Ted, the doctor deed is tinkering with his sexual orientation. Oh, Mona. <laughs> so th- it doesn't seem to yeah. be judging. They're just yeah. commenting on yeah, it. Yeah, he's not like it, they're not disgusted. They're not like yeah. ew, gross. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't Ace Ventura ending. I'm not going to reference Ace Ventura in every show now. Yeah, and so just, yeah, yeah. By 1992 Fox standards, I think that's a. I, I always want to exp- explain to kids the baffling lack of Bill and Ted because Bill and Ted was pretty popular, did well, and the only barrier was Keanu Reeves became a movie star. Yet he's like, "Oh, I'd love to do more. I'd love, to, I'd love to play Bill and Ted again." Mm-hmm. And even though everybody made fun of his, made it sound like Keanu Reeves talked like his character, which he did not, uh, <laughs> sort of, but not all the way. And it's if you haven't heard me say this before, Bill and Ted is one of the best trilogies I've ever seen. That last movie was beautiful <laughs> and, and, and the and, last and, film was exactly what i wanted when yeah. it was released it was and, and, pitch perfect and even it it doesn't need to make sense but bill and ted's bogus journey didn't dabble in time travel because you can't do that you can't go back in time to solve your problems in every episode that's kind of a one and done thing if you're doing time travel correctly <laughs> you shouldn't have to do it over and over again otherwise what's the fucking point terminator uh also on fox this week rachel gunn rn debuts what's rn stand uh, for Bradshaw Nurse? Uh, registered nurse oh. and i'm going to again channel my jay sherman fox is scraping the bottom of the bedpan <laughs> with this summer sitcom it is about a wise cracking nurse lots of sex jokes the opening theme was a cover of huey lewis and the news songs working for a living uh but it was sung by ebersole uh, yeah you mean Christine Ebersole, the star of the show. There you go. Maybe. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm. I'm just. I, I. I love tracking the the. So many actors just take so many swings until they finally hit, and this is like the third or fourth Megan Mullally role mm. that we've talked about. Just a desperately failed sitcom that just goes nowhere. But I see the second build guy is Kevin Conroy, and this show ends like literally a day or two before batman the animated series wow wow good for him uh that all worked out think about oh how sad the world would be if he was like no no i have to focus on the nurse sitcom i can't do voice work in my off hours wow Uh, but if you want to watch it it's all on youtube and the viewership for every episode is in the three digits so (laughs) that is the fan base that this has well uh not to get gross again but like definitely a genre of entertainment that is now gone red shoe diaries debuts on showtime and it was always i didn't have showtime but if you're over at a friend's house it's like guaranteed one set of boobs per episode you'll might as well tune in and you won't be surprised when you learn david duchovny is awesome in the x-files because this is basically his first big performance he's kind of the lead of the series well he he's the framing device he is you don't get any idea of like what his talents are because his job is to walk around with a dog 
go to a PO box, open a letter and stare at it. And then, and then some softcore happens. And for then half an hour. he is in at least one or two episodes, though. But mm. he is the framing device for every episode. Yeah. And, uh, and and do you know the meaning of Red Shoe Diaries? I do not. So David Duchovny's fiance committed suicide. Yes. And he had a confrontation with the man she was having an affair with, who is a shoe salesman who sold her a pair of red high heels. So then David Duchovny places an ad in the newspaper in an effort to understand why his fiance committed suicide. Yes. And he tries to learn stories from other women in similar situations. It, it's so <sighs> needlessly complicated for what I, the audience it was trying to attract and I never saw it except they had a sanitized version on USA that would <laughs> pop up somewhere after Duckman or Weird Science in between Up All Night. And yeah, I'm not going to say it wasn't titillating the why. Leave me alone. I'm tired of talking about my <laughs> proclivities yeah, on the show. This, this is totally down the memory hole. There are no fans of this yep. series whatsoever. Although its biggest cultural impact is someone you're probably never going to suspect. What? Stanley. Kubrick. Huh? What? Stanley Kubrick asked for episodes of the Red Shoe Diaries Whoa. before filming Eyes, Eyes Wide, Wide Sh wow. Shut. Oh, wow. smart though. Wow. Research what what are people seeing is eroticism these days. Yeah. Yeah. yeah market research. And I, I I probably should say in hindsight, and speaking of Eyes Wide Shut, because you know we talked about it with Sarah a bunch. It is eroticism. I don't want to say tailored towards women, but it's not like it's not bikini car wash. It's right. it's it's trying to be a little classier and something maybe <laughs> everyone can enjoy. So it's yeah, it's, it's not embarrassing the way maybe I don't want to say dream on spicy city. Look that up. That's an animated HBO show that's never seen the light of day again. That was just boobies, boobies, boobies in cartoon form. Yeah, but, that's, uh, no, that, I think that's a good point that it, it crosses all genders and sexualities there's something yeah. for everyone that yeah you know and it's it's salman king who did wild orchid which uh, nah, yeah. and uh and nine and a half weeks which are like less female friendly oh by a lot mm. but yeah this is yeah, generally female friendly you know there are stories of seduction and if this episode doesn't do it for you it'll be another one that does yeah i look forward to it being remade hopefully with danny mcbride uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny for like three people who know what we're talking about. Moving on to games of 1992. JR, is this the finest hour for our boy Indy on interactive platforms? 100%. This is the best Indiana Jones game of all time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, I was, I read that book, The History of LucasArts, which it turns out is a collector's item now. But yeah, LucasArts, George Lucas's video game studio, George Lucas specifically resisted making games based on Lucasfilm properties. He's like, let's license those and create our own IP. And they were super creative. And Indiana Jones was like kind of their first time like, all right, what if we tried the scum engine with yeah. Indiana Jones? And I would never was never able to play this. And it's I dated. this was so much in Baby JR's wheelhouse mm -hmm. because this is my peak Indiana Jones fandom time. I right. was heavily into Last Crusade. I was heavily into the Last Crusade adventure game that LucasArts made. And then we got Young Indiana Jones. And then we have this game, which many indie fans will tell you is the true indie four. 
if they would have just filmed this script for Indy 4, we would have been on cloud nine. This has 8,000 lines of dialogue, and it's one of the very first spoken adventure games out there. Mm. They got someone who does a pretty darn good indie. He's not doing a Harrison Ford parody or imitation. He's making Indiana Jones his own character. Does a very good job of it, given the uh, voice acting standard in 1992 video games. It is filled with a ton of Easter eggs to other LucasArts games. Mm. And this is the game where I learned what Easter eggs were. Like, oh my gosh, you can reference stuff and other stuff and only I get it. So I'm like super smart now. This is awesome. Uh, Mm. This is also the last LucasArts game where you can die. Uh, what? Yeah, yeah. The LucasArts whole thing was like, we don't want fail states. We don't want you to die. But this is the last time they went, you know what? He's Indiana Jones. He's going to be in dangerous situations. You mess up too badly. Indy be dead. Development of it began one year after the Last Crusade. Last Crusade sold 250,000 copies for the adventure games. LucasArts was super happy about that until they ran into some guy from the toy division who said that they made more money from Jabba action figures than the entire games division. Wow. (laughs) But this is a fantastic game. It does something unique for adventure games. It gives you three different paths, and each path is different. You can do the wits path, which is a lot of heavy puzzle solving. The teams path, where you are teamed up with Sophia, who is Indy's love interest in this game. And again, many indie fans think she should have been love interest in a film because she's that interesting of a character. Whereas Indy went really into archaeology, she's shares a history with him but she went into being a medium being someone who connects with the dead and in the indiana universe the supernatural is real so how much is she doing this as a con and how much is she doing this because no she's really talking to dead people the puzzles are great the dialogue is great the graphics So I played this many times in 1992. (laughs) Going back at it with 2022 eyes, I can see how my 14-year-old eyes filled in the gaps. And when I played it in 1992, it felt like a giant big budget movie was on my screen. (laughs) That's not what it'll feel like today. But if you have any desire to relive glorious pixel art, this is some of the best pixel art you're going to see out there it's it's a highly recommend i replayed about half of it i would have finished it but just ran out of time it still holds up this is a fantastic game i'm just really impressed that there's they're they're continuing on with yeah indy has to find something you know mystical magical here indiana jones and the fate of atlantis so i'm guessing Mm -hmm. sort of atlantean artifact and he's still going after nazis yeah yep yeah this is this is taking place days before World War II is going to start. So uh, this is bad radio, but hang on one second. I wonder how, if they've mapped out, like every day of the Nazi rise to power has been filled with some sort of Indiana Jones adventure. What is that, JR? JR has some art. Well, it's the game box art, but... This is the game box art turned into a movie poster on Mm -hmm. Etsy. Wow, all right. I think it's really solid. It's nice art. Look cool. There's camels. There's some guys. This is the prime figure 
from the game. Uh, you feed him uh, Atlantean super metal, which powers him and turns him. <laughs> and the Atlanteans have super tech, and that's we why know. the Nazis want it. <laughs> and uh, uh, the very ending is great. You have to choose whether to become a god or not. And uh, guess if becoming a god is a good thing or a bad thing. It always works out great. It always works out great. There's no lesson to be learned there at all. Yeah, that's that's the constant theme of religion and literature is try to become a god. It's going to work out great for you. I've been told if I'm asked if I am a god, I'm supposed to say yes. Yes, but that's different from becoming a god. But Uh, then you say no, then I will say then die and throw lightning at you. In a very similar vein, uh, uh, Star Trek... So is Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis like still available? To well, I was I was going to mention that I've after this... I've heard so many wonderful things about it. These, like, these have all been okay. hard to find for a really long time, but you know, lately, good old games, and especially Lucas under Disney, have been really good about getting these games out in public. And both of these games are available despite licensing drawbacks. It's exciting yep. to say. So, so is... 30 years old this week. And this is hard to think about Star Trek being younger than Ren and Stimpy is now. Star Trek, the 25th anniversary edition. Uh, You know that scene in The Last Crusade where he just ages? (laughs) As you said that. I just, uh, Matt Damon, Private Ryan, you. uh, Star Trek 25th anniversary edition is a game somewhat similar to Indiana Jones, available on PC, but also reunites all the cast who are all alive. And this, this is the last time mm-hmm. the original cast all acts together because soon after this, they'll start dying off. Yeah, because Bones had to you... go hold out because of his death. Yeah. <laughs> dirt, dirk. But uh, uh, yeah, this feels like you're playing the Star Trek TV show, which is the first time that's ever been true for any Star Trek video game. Mm-hmm. Most Star Trek video games before this, you're flying around, you're essentially doing a battle simulation, which is not what most episodes of the series are. This game it has a little battle, but you're going to different planets, you're talking to people, you're encountering moral quandaries, you're doing everything that you'd want to do in a Star Trek game. And there's seven different episodes, so they're quit mini puzzles. Uh, there's no real uh, overarching thing. You can bust through an episode and get to the next one. They do grade you, so you can solve things in a very unstar Trek way. You can break the Prime Directive and win the episode, but it'll be like, you're kind of a bad captain, and it gives you a score on how Star Trekky you're being, which I think is a great... That's pretty good. I'm like, well, you achieved the objective, but you killed everybody. That's yeah. not what we do. That's exactly how it plays down. And they I so. I like that. they nailed the Star Trek aesthetic and tone. This is another high recommend for me. If you have any nostalgia for the original series, you'll be like, well, I'm watching and playing an episode I've never seen before. And it's available on Steam and good old games. In uh, Books of 1992, Children of Men by P.D. James. Ooh. Yeah, the big difference between this and the movie, which I also highly recommend, the is amazing. there is a much bigger religious undertone to the book than in the movie, mm. which to me makes perfect sense. I mean, having all children stop being bored is, would be regarded as an act of God by the majority of the planet. Mm. <laughs> and Tuman by David McCullough is also out. Uh, oh, Truman, Truman by David McCullough is out. And oh, that's this a, that's a thick ass biography. Yes, I've this seen is that on, like 
Oh shit. <laughs> 1117 pages. And it's actually going to get referenced in pop culture a couple of times. There's an episode of Murphy Brown where they're talking about this and it's like, "Oh yeah, that's a great book. Have you read it? Uh, have you seen how thick it is?" Uh, but it, it took David McCullough 10 years to write. He started out writing a biography of Pablo Picasso and stopped because he hated Picasso. <laughs> and he did not want to spend a decade immersed in the life of someone he was just like, you're an asshole. You blundered into success. You didn't work for it, really. You just became famous at a very young age, and then you were an asshole for the rest of your life. I don't want to write about you. And he looked around and he found Truman, who is the last poor president we have ever had. Hmm. Since Harry Truman, if you adjust for inflation, every president we've had has been a millionaire. Yeah, born, Before, uh, born into wealth. Maybe and not George H. W. Bush. Yeah. Much or, wealthier after yeah, Nixon was born pretty poor. Right. Yeah, Nixon was born poor. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm talking about when they assumed office. If you adjust for inflation, since Harry Truman, every president's net worth has been over a million dollars. We do love rich people in office. Got to get over that. It's the only way to get into office. That's true. Uh, and then moving on to the music of 1992. Whew, I'll be there by Mariah Carey. Still number one. Didn't know you snuck in a Michael Jackson song, uh, Diana. I forgot. I just didn't didn't connect with me. Yeah, um, from from an unplugged special. Yeah. yeah. I carry yeah, unplugged. And then we also have new releases in music, such as Dehumanizer by Black Sabbath, the first with Ronnie James Dio in over in a decade. In a decade. Um, Black Moon, the first Emerson, Lake, and Palmer album in 14 years. What is going on this week? Mm. Last Rites by Skinny Puppy, Somewhere Far Beyond by Blind Guardian, The Art of Rebellion by Suicidal Tendencies, Come On, Come On by Mary Chapin Carpenter, Kiz My Black Ass by MC Ren, uh, Dry, and then Dry, the studio debut of PJ Harvey, and this the single soundtrack, which is like... It begins. That was like, that was when I noticed music was changing with my peer group. Like, what the fuck is this movie singles? And like, who cares? This is like the only way to get these songs from these new bands. Mm-hmm. What bands are they? It, oh, it begins. Uh, it's Cameron Crowe. So they're all fantastic. Yeah. It, it's, it's, to me, this is, I do consider the single soundtrack the dawn of all the alternative music scene. Because. Yeah, I'm going to remind my friend who I'm still talking to. We went to the store to get the single soundtrack. And he explained to me what all this was. A way to get music from 12 up-and-coming bands for the price of one album, which, you know, in the non-Spotify iTunes world was fucking impossible. Yeah, um, and it's got some absolute bangers on there. Uh, we're going to go out with, I think this is my favorite Alice in Chains song, and they've got some really good songs, too. Yeah. But this, I think it ends up on their next album, but yeah, Wood by Alice in Chains came out as the lead single and it's like oh my god it, this yeah. is this is real grunge i have to go do heroin now <laughs> we'll all take a break to do go do a little heroin but uh you know let lane staley soothe you uh with the with wood but we'll be right back with 2002 and it's just going to get even bigger folks
Are you a content creator like the good folks here at 302010? If so, I don't need to tell you how time-consuming it can be to go searching for that perfect video clip, image, sound, or piece of music to put the finishing touches on your latest project. How nice would it be to have a huge library of royalty-free content at your fingertips? Well, I have good news. Storyblocks is here to help creators like you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks gives you access to a huge, demand-driven library of 4K and HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. Their unlimited all-access plan includes over 1 million assets in their library, including things like the background music you're hearing in this very ad. Whether you're a seasoned content creator or someone just dabbling with your first YouTube or Twitch channel, Storyblocks offers a selection of flexible subscriptions that fit every budget and scale to give you all the content and tools you need to focus on what's most important, creating. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at storyblocks.com slash 302010. Once again, that's storyblocks.com slash 2002 with Hot in Here by Nelly. It's number one, finally knocking down Foolish by Ashanti after two and a half months of dominance. Finally. And what's what's not to like about Nelly? Oh, God, why do I say that? I don't want to learn what he's actually done in his real life. So this song came out while I was living in Japan. I was completely isolated from the American music scene with the sole exception of animated music videos this is where people (laughs) would take popular songs and cut them with anime and so there's a whole host of songs which my mental image is anime and this is one of those so anytime i hear hot in here by nelly i i picture this uh like montage of japanese anime girls (laughs) going to uh steam baths and okay Okay, they really went with a theme there. All right, well, welcome to 2002, June 24th to the 30th. We also have new releases in the field of music featuring Three by Soulfly, uh, Born to Rain by Will Smith, uh, God's Favorite by uh, N-O-R-E, am I saying that right? The self-titled debut of The Used, Nellyville by Nelly, uh, aforementioned, yeah. Cheer Up by Real Big Fish, Get Your Mind Correct by Paul Wall and Chameleonaire, Kings of Pop by Homegrown, Murray Street by Sonic Youth, Us Against the World by Play, and Songs About Jane, the debut of Maroon 5. Here they come, everybody. And we do not have long for Will Smith, the musician. You know, we are approaching his end real soon. Yeah, I think he's, he's been a musician about half of his career at this point, you know? Yeah. Well, we got a Will Smith movie coming out because he's Mr. July 4th. I know. I know. He's just, but for, I, I discovered Fresh Prince very early through love of comedy. And I, I, I loved Fresh Prince and DJ Jazzy Jeff. So he's always like a musician first to me, but you know, I can see why other people wouldn't think of it that way. A little bit. And in- also because Nellyville by Nelly came out, I have to point out the video for the song Dilemma featuring Kelly Rowland has a point where someone is texting someone. And if you screenshot it, they're just typing in an Excel spreadsheet on their phone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and a little bit of news to bring you into the wonderful world of 2002 on uh, June 29th. U.S. Vice President Dick Cheney serves as acting president for two hour, two and a half hours while President George W. Bush undergoes a colonoscopy. I just remember. (laughs) 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 I just remember a bunch of cartoons at this time of like Dick Cheney looming over an unconscious George W. Going soon. This was the plan. (laughs) Soon. And let's get into movies of 2002 because there are a lot of them. Brazil won the fifth World Cup title, defeating Germany. Be the Reds. Okay, and it's their last one. They they haven't won. And uh, since. All right, now I'm going to move on to movies of 2002, January 24th through 30th. We got uh, the first 20 million is always the hardest with Andy Gar- Adam Garcia, Rose- Rosario-, Rosario Dawson, Jake Busey, and uh, Enrico Colatoni and Ethan Suplee. Yeah, this is kind of an odd one. It's just co-written by John Favreau, and it's about it's kind of Silicon Valley in a way. Before Silicon Valley, it's about a bunch of folks who've been hired to try to make a $99 PC. What? And <laughs> what can you strip out of a PC to make it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper? And it, you know, it, it doesn't have a hard drive. Everything's online. Um, it doesn't have a keyboard. It's got the virtual reality gloves you type with. And yeah, I admit I didn't get around to watching it. The reviews were like, it was interesting. You know, it was cute, but it was just sort of shrug. And we also have uh, Arthur Bridges, Tyler Long, Jake Richardson, Vincent D'Onofrio, Jodie Foster, Jenna Malone, Kieran Culkin, and Emile Hirsch in The Dangerous Lives of Alter Boys. Boy, does this title make you think it's a different movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, w- wasn't quite the connotations in 2002. It's a bunch of boys dealing with being under the control of a nun who has pretty much zero understanding of what it's like to be a teenage mm-hmm. boy, you know. I mean, most adults leave fairly predictable routine existence, but the teenage years are a period of growth, change, experimentation, and this film really delves into that inherent conflict. Also yeah. has animation by Todd McFarlane. Hey. So. Yeah, that's I, it kind of made me think of Dead Poets Society, but they don't have a, a teacher figure, but they do have comic books. And yeah, I thought it was pretty fun. And it, it kind of disappeared. I don't know if it's just maybe the title confused people thought it was going to be serious because it's not serious, serious. You know, it's not what you think it's going to be. But yeah, overall, I liked it. And, uh, it came also out this week, uh, Melissa McCarthy, Nina Falk, Harry J. Lennox, Sam Ball, Marissa Coughlin, Coughlin, there we go, Dominic Swain, uh, Brenda Blethen, Hank Harrison, Christina Ricci, and Pumpkin. Is this the one she has the pig nose? No, that's Penelope. Um, no. Um, this is the one where she is a sorority girl who falls for a guy who's developmentally disabled. Wow. Okay. (laughs) How does it handle that? Honestly, I feel like Dick that I did not get a chance to go watch this. Um, but reviews were like, okay. I have a feeling it does not hold up as well as one would expect, but apparently it's treated pretty respectfully i mean there's the conflict of can this guy consent to this relationship there's also conflict with his mom about like people with disabilities still have sexual feelings you know yeah they're they're not sweet innocent little creatures they're this guy's he's a man man's got feelings so uh yeah and then it's all about you know is the all the sorority sisters first they give her shit and then they like kind of come around to her side and fight for true love and so um please put in the comments if you've seen Pumpkin more recently, what your memories of it are. And and the the biggest disappointment for me not being able to watch this week is the next movie. And you'll know why when I start reading off some of the credits here. Maurice LaMarche 
Tress McNeil. I wonder what <laughs> uh, what mm. medium this is going through. Uh, Christopher Lloyd, Jennifer Jason Lee, Paul Sorvino, Dan Castellaneta, um, Jamil Walker Smith, Francesca Marie Smith, Spencer Klein. It's Hey Arnold the movie. But is in trouble. Out with the old, in with the new. What's wrong with old things? Some old things are great. Yeah, like Mrs. Botello. Never snapper. And it's Arnold to the rescue. What's the plan? We're gonna need some special equipment. Do the belts come in any other colors? Black or pink? We'll take black. This summer, the future of an entire city rests in his hands. Hey Arnold the movie. My brave little football-headed hero. Starts Friday, June 20th. Yeah. So I think this film actually raises an important question about a subset of films. Mm-hmm. Are movies based on TV shows designed to appeal to a wide audience who hasn't seen yeah. the TV show? Or is it designed to only appeal to those who have watched the TV show? Because this film is all about the destruction of their neighborhood, and but it never explains to you why you should care. It assumes you come in having a bond with these characters and this neighborhood and you don't want it to go away. And it's really dependent upon you having seen Hey Arnold, which I haven't. The Steven Universe movie starts with a recap of the show. Mm-hmm. If you're so, if you're coming into it the first time, at least you have some background. The Powerpuff Girls movie is literally the origin story of the Powerpuff Girls. Mm-hmm. If you have no contact with Hey Arnold, like me, I don't see why you would become emotionally invested here. I, um, I see. I'm just. I am against gentrification and slum clearance how about that <laughs> all right i don't like entire neighborhoods being bulldozed to build a mall or some shit you you bring up a good point because it, this to me hey arnold occupies so many fascinating aspects of animation history and part of this the only reason it was greenlit is because of the success of the rugrats movie which was i considerably more of a mainstream powerhouse than hey arnold it had success all over the place so nickelodeon started offering up multiple movie deals for currently running Nicktoons. Hey Arnold, I have always I, I I have always been familiar with Arnold as a character. It is created by Craig Bartlett, who is married to Lisa Simpson. By that I mean Lisa Groening. And Matt Groening basically helped finance and get Arnold moving. I think Arnold premiered in Claymation shorts for Sesame Street. Yeah. Uh, if you had Simpsons magazine in the 90s, the big comic in there was Hey Arnold with all these characters well before the show ever existed. And then by the time the Nickelodeon show, you know, I'm 22 years old. I'm not going to get into it. But what I've always admired about it and its fandom is that I'm using the words unremarkable here as a compliment. It is animated, but it is not surrealized. It is not, nobody has superpowers. It is really just about kids navigating the world of inner city life. And in a slice of life cartoon. Yeah. Which is something you don't see often without an imaginary friend or space travel. It's just a look at real kids doing real things, heightened and comedic. uh, And I've always found every episode I've seen of it quite charming. And I think that according to the lore, Craig Bartlett was... This this movie takes place during the fifth season. So you're right, JR. I think the fifth season, you have to have some understanding of that to know what's going on in the film. And since he had another film contracted for Hey Arnold, they ended the fifth season on a cliffhanger. He's like, I dare you to cancel us. And they did. And then they canceled <laughs> that movie. And it, it, I think three, four years ago, they finally followed up and closed that cliffhanger on Hey Arnold with a 
finally getting a second movie about 15 years too late but um this was a bomb but i i not a bomb not at not a not a rugrat success story well um, it was, it's a lot cheaper than the other nickelodeon's movies yeah. the budget for spongebob and the uh was 20 to 30 million dollars mm-hmm. the budget for this was three. Oh yeah it, it the began budget... oh that it... is really inexpensive for animation and it, yeah. Yeah, it, it began as a straight to video movie but because of the su- success of rugrats nickelodeon thought it had this whole new factory of content on its hands and they arnold told them nope never mind but but again, Rugrats had a budget of twenty million dollars. If, if you're coming in there going, you know what? Why don't we expect the same results from our three million dollar film as from our twenty or thirty million dollars film? You're an idiot. Yeah, that's dumb. Yeah. Don't expect that. And and what that also leads to is, you know, I just wanted to watch more of it to see. I love cartoons. If you're not familiar with me on the show, I love animated movies, and I'm especially fascinated right now with TV show, animated TV shows that get turned into movies because they usually get more time, more 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 resources, and more work goes into it, and it always looks better. And this sort of does, but I I I just want to say I'm still in awe of what Bob's Burgers did. That is a show that is not seemingly designed to be visually appealing in any way, and that movie is lavish. It is the most significant upgrade in animation I've ever seen from a television show to a movie. And I think other than a cup, Rugrats had a little bit of that um, beyond widescreen, like just shots you would never see in the normal show, effects you'd never see in the normal show. I don't know Arnold enough to know that from the clips I watched, but I was fascinated to check that out because it should be... Your theatrical experience should be more significant, and that I love the SpongeBob movie, but it's hard to say that like, could you have not animated this in the show? Maybe you couldn't have gotten a real life David Hasselhoff boat. Uh, <laughs> that looks expensive, but yeah, Bob's Burgers. They they just released like that music video. It is so beautiful to look at, and something they could never do on a television budget. I want to touch mm-hmm. on something you said earlier. Sure. I haven't seen a single episode of the show, but you say it's down to earth, yeah. slice of life, and about just it, the inner city. Have you, have you seen the fandom from? younger people online about this show it is very Not real really. and like it it, it it people love it it holds yeah. up a lot better than a lot of the other nicktoons around this period and i can see that people want to see their lived experience so if you have a cartoon about inner city life mm-hmm. i can't think of another one so of course you'd latch on to the only one you have but in this movie they become black suited spies with a sexy spy <laughs> lady and that doesn't seem down to earth grounded to me oh well i mean i i I, it could have gone i'm not the hey arnold expert it was just like as i get older i'm kind of fascinated by like shows like this and and doug which like you know have imaginary a lot of imaginary fantastical sequences but are grounded in the real life of kids and i think it's you know not knowing i don't have kids myself but that's got to be it's got to be something kids don't know they appreciate at the time because i know i did in hindsight like most of the reviews were saying it feels like a episode that's just been stretched out yeah. and might have been stretched a little far which is a, a bummer because like i said i mean it's about them protecting the neighborhood from an evil developer which work and uh you know it has to do with like oh it's it turns out it's been declared a historical landmark mm-hmm. um but then you know the evil developer like has hidden the proof of that and they have to try to sneak in and get the proof and there's uh, a, a deep throat character named deep voice hello beautiful beautiful I, you get all the credit for that joke. I, I love that. <laughs> Especially sneaking into a kid's movie. Yeah. Here's a kid's movie disguised as something for adults, I guess. Uh, uh, 
maybe maybe a certain celebrity at their most uh, I don't even know what to say Steve Buscemi look at this cast Steve Buscemi Harvard uh, personnel uh, Conchita Farrell uh, Peter Dante Rob Schneider uh, Eric Avery John Turturro Alan Covert Peter Gallagher Winona Ryder Adam Sandler and co-starring the Wendy's franchise as well as Coke that Coco Pebbles never mind ladies and gentlemen number one at the box office it's Adam Sandler's Mr. Deeds they just inherited 40 billion dollars boy you kind of snuck up on me then I am very very sneaky sir the country club sorry about that dude the fine dining thanks for stopping buddy this is an unbelievable from the producers of Big Daddy rich boy get ready chop that wood for the most unlikely billionaire Adam Sandler is Oh, that got you right in the throat, huh? Mr. Deeds. <laughs> it, it, it does feel like Sandler, the Sandler machine, is at its most lazy. We got a remake it's, of Mr. Uh, Deeds Goes to Town. Yeah. The... Not not only is this a remake of Mr. Deeds Goes to Town from 1936, starring Gary Cooper and Gene Arthur, directed by Frank Capra, it lifts whole scenes and barely changes any dialogue. Yeah. I, I was like, I was just like, why the fuck did they make him an aspiring greeting card writer? This is not that's that funny. And like, oh, that's just that seems so weird. Yeah, you should have adapted that into something that that is an actual job to aspire to. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they didn't, they weren't very creative in it. But it, I uh, mean, that's very Capra esque. Mm-hmm. But it's not what I associate with Adam Sandler or even the character we see Adam Sandler in here, like. His whole thing is he's a super, super nice guy. Just the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet. But they still feel the need to show you that he can beat the shit out of anyone he chooses to. Multiple times, it's just like, okay, here's the nicest guy in the world beating someone up. I mean, yeah. it's it, is that just written into his contract I, I, at this time I, where he's like, I will only play this character if everyone can see how tough I am. I think mm-hmm. I think it's just kind of the laziness of Sandler movies during this period because they rely on a lot of slapstick from the star and that just always manifests itself with punches in the faces and kicks in the nuts. Always. Mm-hmm. And like this is, to me, I, the bloom was sort of off the rose with me and Adam Sandler. I do think some of his movies are still fun. And I think even if you hate this and think it's not funny, it's clear people have fun working on these. And maybe you don't like your Alan Covert's and other Sandler staples, but like Steve Buscemi and John Turturro are having a great time and it's fun to watch and they keep coming back to do it over and over again. They can be, they're good stuff all the time. They're having such a great time playing these kooky characters. Then why should I pay them money? What do you mean? Why should I pay them money if they're having such a good time? No one pays me money when I have a good time. But they, they accept all these lesser roles to play something weird and just be part of a scene that, this I like it, and I feel part of that scene sometimes, which is why I give such a pass to terrible Adam Sandler movies, but this really is pretty Here, terrible. Here's my thing, though. When I revisit old Adam Sandler films that I'm nostalgic for, mm-hmm. you know, Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, The Wedding Singer, they hold up. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, this is still good. I'm still finding this funny. Yeah, it's a bit dated, but I'm still laughing. It's good. When I run across Adam Sandler movies that I never saw, just didn't, mm. just pass me by, which this one did. I watched it for the first time for the show. I'm just like, this is not funny. Yeah. I'm not laughing. Yes. And it makes me question 
my enjoyment of Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore. That like, has a lot, I... Your age has a lot to do with it. But there's but like the last time I had anything resembling cable, these movies are like Bowie, TBS, and MTV. MTV every weekend plays nothing but Adam Sandler movies from this era. So people do enjoy them. And, I, and I, I'm watching this and like, this is objectively not good. Winona Ryder has stated, I probably shouldn't have done that and that wasn't a good role for me and I'm not sure I like the movie very much. But, you know, it's a good payday and everyone seems to have fun working on a Sandler film. And that's part of the reason people hate him online. He literally he writes movies around having vacations for him and all his friends. Let's, let's shoot it in Hawaii again. This, uh, this feels something... Something lazier in this, especially that it's a pretty lazy remake, too. I, I think this is the worst love story of any Adam Sandler film I've seen. There may be worse ones, wow. but it's just so like, I don't believe this. Yeah. I don't have the slightest bit of investment all i could in think of was hudsucker proxy I'm like this. yeah <laughs> yeah it's, well it's the same story because it's it's from the original that yeah. you know she's a, a, a journalist who's trying to work her name smitty uh yeah journalist uh, is pretend you know be his love interest yeah. so she can get the gossipy scoop on this guy who has inherited a billion small town guy has inherited a billion dollars from an uncle he's never met it's just stupid and just i don't know there, there there are funny moments in it but it's like to me this is one this is on the bad end of sandler stuff yeah i found most of the funny moments or at least half of the funny moments were just carried over from the original which is like dude you're stealing 70 year old jokes yeah <laughs> I, I didn't what did uh, that yeah. say the original it totally holds up I, the the biggest difference between the two besides the amount of money yes. he inherits which is only 20 million dollars in the original but it was during the depression right that they the ending they changed because for some reason in the 30s a lot of movies end with a judge telling everyone what to do like they they do a, a deus ex machina everyone ends up in court and then all the truth comes out and then the good guys win. And it seems kind of anticlimactic, I think, to do that in 2002. So they they have like a shareholder showdown kind of thing. But it's just like, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't care. I don't want this. I don't need this. Remake bad movies, not good ones. The original is good and it holds up and you can watch it and it's fun. I'm not, I'm not, the, yeah, not recommended. Not recommended. The only part of this I actually found funny was when Winona Ryder is making up a fake town to pretend she's from the small town and then he researches it and he takes her to this like podunk town and she has to pretend that she's actually from there and i thought that was a very funny scene and that exact same scene happens in super cop where jackie chan also was like i'm from this town hey we've stopped at this town and he's like oh yeah oh they've built a new building here i don't yeah and i was so hoping there was somehow going to be a third uh in our final segment so we'd have a trinity but no such luck but i found can, that can i fun. and i have one one tiny observation on this movie and adam sandler films i want to get off my chest this isn't high art and it's bizarre to me that there are no sequels to adam sandler films other than grown-ups there are and there are also because you know the movies are lighthearted and silly there are shared characters in the shared universe and rob snyder's character from big daddy appears in this meaning this character has been in two different films by two different studios and i, I it never even occurred to me unless you watch like hoobie halloween on netflix which is a good adam sandler movie ben stiller's character from happy gilmore opens the movie and you're like you're right this doesn't adam sandler movies don't do this 
why don't they lean on this harder, like a shared universe or sequels? Uh, and they never do. And this is this is a rare case where a ca- lines will reappear, will connect movies together. You can do it. <laughs> so uh, this is the first I've heard about the existence of a AC. CU. ACU. <laughs> this we call it the Sandman universe. Um, Sandman. Sandman yeah. universe, but yeah, yeah. And again, it's 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 interesting because it's two different studios. Usually that's not allowed to happen. Uh moving on to television, which is light this week in 2002. Sorority Life debuts. Is that MTV? Mhm. Okay. Sorority this life. lasts 3 seasons and one spin-off. There's a great YouTube video on it by the editor of it and apparently the first cut mtv was like we're going to scrap this this is stupid this is dumb no one will watch this power of editing he managed to insert a plot into the first episode uh it's about a jewish sorority and the conflict in the first episode is at least partially that a whole bunch of non-jewish girls are pledging to this sorority because they want to be on the reality television show oh yeah. I appreciate them having the plot be about that they are a reality television show instead of yeah. just pretending it's not happening and that people just want to be on TV. Yep. Is it a, is it a reality show? I'm so confused here. Yeah, yeah this is a reality show about uh, girls pledging sororities. Yeah. That's, how do you Shut cancel up. a reality show and then give it a spinoff? That's not reality. If this isn't working, <laughs> why give it a spinoff if it's real? Um, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't get it. Yeah, uh, I guess it's you know they're doing a real world, but they have a built-in cast already. And then speaking of things, don't care. We don't get possibly due to age. Mary Kate and Ashley in action ends. What the fuck is this? Yeah, it's an animated version okay, of Mary then. Kate and Ashley Olsen. Uh, there's a series of books. It was canceled after one season due to low ratings, and it's the very last tv series to star both mary kate and right. ashley so one of them doesn't <laughs> like to act anymore too busy being billionaires yep and uh moving on to 2002 video games uh barbarian on ps2 <laughs> it's a 3d fighting game and i feel like the barbarian uh niche was pretty dead in 2002 like I'm i mean a little you, you would think but i'm in the games industry and four or five years and there are so many fucking Conan games coming out which I also don't understand <laughs> that's we... I get Conan because he specifically has name brand recognition right but just generic barbarian I'm I'm not yeah, sure it's really get. more of like a he-man thi- like in the he-man era uh <laughs> and then we also have men in black 2 alien escape on ps2 now I'm Gosh, really confused a video game and an album from Will Smith I wonder if men in black 2 is coming out next week there you go. And because we just talked about Men in Black 3. I forgot it's like kind of yeah, even 10 years. Yeah, we just talked about 3, but not yep. Really good. Um, and then the I remember this very well on 2002, the book Aragon. Aragon, The Inheritance Cycle, Part 1, by the a young kid, right? He's, he's like 15. He was 17 yeah. when he wrote this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can make the case that it's a ripoff of Star Wars, but it's... For a 17-year-old, it's a really good ripoff of Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> and something about it has to stand up because, you know, I go to bookstores still all the time and the cover to me is pretty iconic and it's always there in plentiful amounts. And this, sadly, it failed at every adaptation they ever tried and uh, failed yeah. to adapt itself to video games and movies. Yet the books keeps meeting the eyes and approval of 
young young readers. So good on Aragon for real. And you know what? That about wraps up 2002. But 2012 is madness. It is packed. Damn it! Madness. Oh my god. Uh, so, but don't move. We got a lot more to talk about. We'll take you out with this love by Maroon Five, which is really just getting started. But we'll be right back in just a moment. Stay there. Oh, this love has taken its toll. Mrs. Internet and all the ships at sea, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of June 24th through 30th, we have a new nerd holiday, all right? Look, we have May the 4th Be With You. That's pretty popular. Some some nerds, they really like uh, Towel Day, which has kind of been lost in the shuffle. But I am declaring June 25th a holiday for nerds everywhere because June 25th, 1982, 40 years ago this week, so the release of Buddy Python Live at the Hollywood Bowl. <laughs> no, that's not really the thing I want to talk about, but it is a really fun movie because they, they get to get naughtier than they got to get on the TV show. No, what I really want to talk about is June 25th, 1982, saw the release of two of the most important sci-fi films of all time, Blade Runner and The Thing. The same day! It, uh, it, uh, it, uh, brain explode. Because, yeah, these are two movies both science fiction, one much more horror than science fiction, which are landmark movies that have been copied over and over and over since then. They both failed on release. They were not very popular. And they just gradually became appreciated over time. And now, 40 years later, it's just a no-brainer when you think of, like, the best horror films of all time. The thing is going to be in the conversation. And continuing with my theme that the only good remakes are remakes of horror, The Thing is a remake from 1951, a Thing from Another World, which is an adaptation of a short story. Who goes there? And it's about a bunch of dudes are in a remote Arctic station of some kind. And things get really ugly because there is this parasitic thing that sneaks in. And now you don't know who to trust. And that's it. I mean, it's it's kind of it's an invasion of the body snatchers thing. But in this very confined space where there's no running away and there's not really a hope of rescue. But there's also the feeling of like, we can't let this thing get out of here. So uh, I rewatched it, even though I am a giant, <laughs> I'm a giant wussy baby. And I've seen it, I don't know, four or five times. Still scares the shit out of me every time because the makeup effects and the creature effects are so beyond what folks were doing in 1982. It's a, a level of disturbing horror that just I, it, it's mind blowing. I can't imagine what this was like to see in 1982. Like, we just saw E.T., and E.T. is, like, such a great character, and the puppetry is so good, and then, you know, his design is, like, really interesting, and then this is just, everything is as horrible as it possibly could be. The head that (laughs) sprouts spider legs and starts running away is one of the creepiest fucking things I've ever seen. And then, because, you know, that's not enough to have one of John Carpenter's masterpieces right there, we get Blade Runner, which, again terrible failure like not very popular critics very polarized because the original cut isn't as good i mean it's mostly there it's 90 percent there 
but the studio was not happy with Ridley Scott's direction. And they thought people maybe weren't following it very well, so they put in narration that Harrison Ford intentionally does very badly. Like, he sounds so sleepy. And maybe he is. Maybe he's wicked high. But (laughs) it's distracting. And I can't think of another movie that has been rescued by a director's cut white like Blade Runner. In fact, we're going to talk about the director's cut of Blade Runner in 1992, like in a month or something. And that was like, everyone went back and reevaluated like, oh, shit, what he was intending to do is so much better. But even in the original cut, it's just it's masterful. You know, there's, again, paranoia. Who's a robot? Who's not a robot? Are the robots coming to get me? Are they going to come to get you? Why are they so mad? Turns out they're mad for being created. They want to know why they were created by humans and why do they have lifespans and why are they being treated as slave labor? Legitimate questions that we as humans also have for our creator, I think. That's kind of the point. So, which cut of Blade Runner should you watch? Because there are like four or five of them. I think I've probably watched director's cut the most because that was the one that was most accessible besides the theatrical cut for so long. But Blade Runner, the final cut, is available on Netflix and also HBO, I think. And that's... Let's just pretend the other cuts don't exist because you can find online rundowns of, you know, what has changed. And they're very minor changes, but it's enough to paint the whole picture as opposed to, like, throwing in kind of a sunshiny ending or, you know, making things a little less nebulous than they are. And, uh, yeah, I, if you haven't seen Blade Runner or The Thing, what the hell are you doing listening to a podcast where we talking about movies so much? Come on, catch up, dude. You've been missing out. Why are you depriving yourself? Don't you want to understand the two-part Bob's Burgers season finale? that was just one long Blade Runner parody, which is the the glee, the film nerd glee that gave me. Oh, I love that show. Anyway, yeah, that's it for this week. Stay classic. Yeah, get it. Get that rage out. Coming in with burn it. Coming with burn it down by Lincoln Park. Welcome to 2012 of January 24th to the 30th. Other new music releases include Living Things by the aforementioned Lincoln Park, Days Go By by The Offspring, Write Me Back by R. Kelly, uh, Invisible Stars by Everclear, L'Enfant Sauvage by Gojira, uh, Rooster Rag by Lil Feet, and of course, Call Me Maybe by Carly Rae Jepsen is still number one. Welcome to our final segment of 30 2010, where we talk about 10 years ago. And this should make you all feel old, because holy shit, is there a lot of great stuff. You had to have seen one of these films. But a little bit of news to remind you what's going on. 2012 female athletes will now be allowed to compete on behalf of Saudi Arabia at the Olympics for the first time. Yeah. They get to play in the Olympics and drive in the same decade? (laughs) Really coming up for women there. We're falling apart. The Olympic Committee basically told Saudi Arabia, you will be barred from all sports if you don't allow women to compete. So it wasn't really an internal thing. It was just like, a, all right, fine, we'll do this. So we're not barred. Yeah. Luckily, WWE has no such standards and will, uh, you know, not do any of that when they perform as the only major American sporting event to go to Saudi Arabia for a massive amount of money. Read those stories. They are hilarious of what that company will compromise for a little more money. Uh, I appreciate, like, I I remember this in 2012 and seeing some of the athletes from Muslim majority countries and seeing like, they have to get kind of 
creative with what outfits women can wear where they can still say. compete, but they are modest enough. You know, sometimes it really is. It's just, you know, the hijab and that's no big deal. But you're going to catch like, up to Michael Phelps in a burqa. Yeah, swimming. Yeah, you, you know, you got to be fully covered, but it also can't, you don't want it to be too clingy. And it's like, well, you're kind of at a disadvantage, but exactly. if you're comfortable, cool. Do your thing. Yeah. And hey, um, yeah, why not? More athletes, more jobs, I say. If being an Olympic athlete is a job, I never really understood the economics. Um, sounds like it's kind of a job. I mean, it sounds like full time work. I just don't understand where the pay yeah. is coming from. Can't all have Adidas contracts. 2012 movies, and it's just highlighted packed friggin' week. It's a packed, packed friggin' week. Friggin' week. Um, I, I don't get how we got this many movies this week. But some I'm not sure. One one or two of them are in more limited release. Bunch of they're, they're going to go wider later in the year. But it's, this was the best date I could find for them. It's so. summer, and and there's you know there's a lot of success stories, but there's not like a tentpole film coming up. So everyone want to make their wants to make their summer money this week on yep. things you don't know how well they're going to do. Like people like us with uh, Chris Pine and Elizabeth Banks, Michelle Pfeiffer, Olivia Wilde. Mark Duplass, John Favreau, uh, and such and such. Yep, and Philip Baker Hall, R.I.P. Oh yeah, I, I thought he died like eight years ago. I could have sworn <laughs> that. I love that guy. Yeah, now uh, people like us. It's about Chris Pine finds out that his dad had another family and like tries to mm. connect with them, and uh, but he lies to them, and then they get mad at him, and then things work out better. And it's like every review was pretty much like this is well intentioned, and everyone's fine in it. This cast is way overpowered for this material yeah like okay and and then Fair just enough a, and then let's talk about we got two movies with young independent protagonists yeah and and, and for me so different. for me i believe this a, a lot of the crew that worked on this is from my hometown and it's shot in highly southern areas like mostly louisiana mm-hmm. i do not know how to do not remember how to pronounce uh, the lead actress's name she got an oscar nomination right she is the youngest person nominated for a best actress oscar and she is the first person born in the 21st century nominated for an oscar wow name Period. say say your because name i don't want to quavenjane wallace well, then that's it quavenjane lied wallace. about her age she needed to be 6 and she was five when she auditioned for this movie wow and she's fantastic this is also dwight henry playing her dad who was uh mostly these are non-professional actors in this dwight henry owned a bakery this is truly something worth seeing it's uh just what you can do still do with no like really no money if you can get access to a couple willing participants and just have a unique story to tell. This is, I haven't watched it a lot, but I, I made, made it a point to see it in theaters and then buy it on Blu-ray. I wish I would have rewatched it for this so I'd have more things to say yeah. about it. So yeah, Beast of the Southern Wild, mm-hmm. ridiculously low budget, pulls a best, best Picture nomination. And the filmmakers have basically, they've made one other movie since then, mm-hmm. which came out February, 2020. So kind of got lost. But Beast of the Southern Wild is just kind of like it's just fascinating because it takes place somewhere like you feel like you've never been it's on Mm -hmm. the barrier islands of louisiana outside of the levees um everything is very cobbled together you know in this community and they're they're obviously they're they're very poor but they're very independent and yeah it's about this kid who's can't rely on her dad so she's kind of you know doing her own thing and then you know big storm comes and everything floods and it's still about just persevering of just, just trying to get through and do your own thing. And it's just such an interesting place and time and portrait. Yeah. And 
just yeah it, it's kind of magical like i can think of a couple movies kind of like it george washington and uh daughters of the dust it reminds me of a lot but it really just feels just some something very new yeah it's like a, a no budget labyrinth and yeah and it, it's it feels like a dream and is i just 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 an amazing vision brought to life with the bare minimum of resources and it's just so worth taking in for real yeah it's like it is kind of hard to describe like what is yes. the plot yeah and it's kind of a less of plot it's and heartwarming and scary just, yeah. just go in, in cold and you'll have a great time yeah beast of the southern wild is a big old recommend for me compared to the other movie we have that's about a very independent child who can't yeah. rely on adults moving on it it stylistically could get much more different moonrise kingdom moonrise kingdom uh great cast and wes anderson Always. yeah wes anderson i can't express the, i i went into darjeeling limited and just like this fucking sucks and i'm tired of what this guy does and i got dragged to moonrise kingdom because thank god for my ex she's like you really used to love this guy give it a shot and i was just like okay I had some problems with Arjeeling Lemon. I love what Wes Anderson does, and nobody else. I think Napoleon Dynamite tried to steal a little whatever that twee thingy is that Wes Anderson does so well. But like, nah, this, this story is much more agreeable, and the characters are so much better. And it's been that way ever since with me and Wes Anderson. I had one outing where I thought I hated him, and Moonrise Kingdom brought me right back in. Heartwarming yeah. tale. Yeah, it's weird because I appreciate that it is an interesting movie it's a good movie uh the characters are very different than i'm used to seeing it is possibly the most west anderson movie west anderson has ever made in that it is you know it is very twee and dollhousey and it's about this kid who basically nobody wants so mm -hmm. and he escapes from <laughs> from a, a, a scouting camp. camp to run off with this girl who lives nearby and they're both i affect i don't know what their deal is they're both very matter of fact and unemotional about things all the time i and that is yeah. actually kind of part of my problem with getting into it is like there's a point where it's like well if you don't seem to care why should i care and that's why like bruce willis's character is like the local cops ends up being like the only character that i give a shit about because everyone else is just very matter of fact well we have a lost scout we have to go save him before he dies it's like bruce willis <sighs> is the only character who's like what the hell are you doing what's wrong with you i don't know edward norton seemed to be upset that he lost a scout and then he mm -hmm. lost all the scouts he yeah. lost every single scout under his control and that was uh not good yeah. but uh quick question is this the only time bruce willis and bill murray have acted together oh oh you know it, so. if it's if it's not it would have been They've never starred in anything together. Right. Maybe they one had a cameo in one thing or a voice in one thing and well the other appeared. But yeah, I don't why yeah, as far as I know. Yeah. Just an interesting and, thought. But uh there's a lot going on in this movie. Uh there's a fair amount of proto-sexuality between the two twelve year olds. Mm -hmm. It was honestly a bit shocking. But it didn't feel exploitative, if you can no. understand the distinction there. No, I, I that that's one of the takeaways for me is yeah the the sort of it you know it is young love and and maturing into adulthood and you know where the childhood love and and adult love sort of overlap and I was yeah I thought it's treated very I, tastefully. And I think that's tastefully. partially why I love it. I bounce back and forth what my favorite Wes Anderson movie is, but it's probably Rushmore. And this is the first time he'd gone back to 
telling a story through kids. And there's something about this unreactive lack of self-realization that I think works better with children than it does with bigger actors. Um, Life Aquatic being an exception. I, I, I But I... I loved it. I, I it felt like Rushmore to me again, and and then just because something about a child's story is so much better suited to whatever his pastiche is. Like, uh, I really liked it. It feels like reading a, a child's book. I can yeah. see that. There, there's a lot of great moments in this film. The beach where they have the most important event their childhood being washed away was a nice symbolism for their childhood ending i thought there were a couple of decisions which i didn't like when they were happening in real time but in retrospect they make sense i always have a bit of an issue when they kill the dog Mm -hmm. which they do do in this film but in retrospect i realized that that removed the safety net when the dog died Mm-hmm. Suddenly, we, the audience, wasn't sure mm-hmm. if the children would survive. There are a number of points where the children are in actual, real, significant danger. And so I can see the reason for killing the dog to make us really realize, no, things could go really bad really quickly here. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's all fun and games until someone gets stabbed. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> those kids, you know, the, the other scouts trying to to find their runaways, like, they're pretty ready to murder and then when they realize, oh, no, this is serious, then they, they drop it. It's like, yeah, those kind of. Yeah. I mean, every character is, is interesting and it's all odd and weird and precocious. I feel like it's like it, it just didn't click for me in particular. But it, for comparatively, like Grand Budapest Hotel, which is his next movie, has a lot of similarities. But that clicked for me because I feel like the characters are invested a little bit more in what's happening. Like, See, I would call care. Grand Budapest Hotel the most Wes Anderson film. Sure. Yeah, okay, fair. But then also, like, it has the vibe, uh, such a cartoony vibe that it's just wonderful mm-hmm. to be That's in what I associate Wes Anderson with, honestly. A lot of removed from reality. Uh, yeah, like, sure. at least one-fourth of a cartoon is how I feel his movies are. Yeah. So, I don't know. Yeah, it might be your mileage may vary. It is, it's annoying for me to be like, I can tell this is a really good movie. Mm-hmm. It's just not clicking for me in particular, but I, it clicked it's for a lot of other not people. not my so. favorite. It just made me realize, like, I'm not tired of Wes Anderson. I kind of like what he does. And Grand Budapest Photo, like, solidified that. I just haven't seen French yeah. Dispatch. Love all this shit after that. And those aren't even the... None of those movies are even the biggest movies of the week. Because uh, now we got... I did not get to see this. Uh, Marla Gibbs, John Amos, Romeo... Danielle Campbell, Denise Richards, Combo Breaker, Tom Arnold, <laughs> Doris Roberts, Eugene Levy, and Tyler Perry. It is Medea's Witness Protection. You've been laundering money, dude. I knew nothing about this. The mob is after them. We need to move them someplace safe. But only one woman can protect them. Hello. I got so Where you fam? They're sleeping still. They got to get out. You're so huge. Like a giant bag of Skittles. You better get the hell out by when I come back up in here, you know what's going to happen. We're going to taste the rainbow. Medea's witness protection. A butt must be home because it's chewing that dress alive. Uh, um, so yeah. there's actually a number of Tyler Perry films that I've enjoyed. Really? But I, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, he's made some decent things, but I've never seen a Medea film. Mm-hmm. I have purposely avoided those because they don't seem like my type of thing. Yeah. All right. I'm a big well, Mama's House is... guy. I'll never deviate. 
Never. Uh, well, this is the seventh, and review-wise, it sounds like we're we're in a steep decline. I, I say this with no irony, other than Stan Lee, Tyler Perry is responsible for the biggest shared universe in pop culture <laughs> history, <laughs> and this is the third highest-grossing Medea film wow. of those like dozen or so. And yeah, it's because I mean, he has his film plays too, and we did a whole Laser Time episode about it because our buddy T. L. Foster of Life from the Pool House has a perspective on what makes Medea popular, which I do not as a white person. I don't watch films about being <laughs> going to church. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was I was hopeful about this one because it seems like, yeah, throwing this obnoxious white family into her house, you know, gives her plenty to work with. And eh, there was an awful lot of like, yeah, you kids are lazy. Kids are entitled. I'm gonna whoop your ass, etc. And Doris Roberts uh, thinking that she's like, her her live-in servant from 50 years ago or something is like all right little little bit of of uh class and race button up against each other and then everything works out including medea stealing a whole bunch of money uh cool <laughs> i guess that's yeah because you know this company stole a whole bunch of money and then eventually they come up with a way to steal it back and give it to a bunch of charities and also medea gets a bunch of it and doesn't tell anybody so i guess that's okay what does jesus <laughs> think eh. Yeah, it was just mm, mm. I don't have on a lot to, to one say one, about Medea's witness protection. What I do have a lot to say about is, is our next film. I'm glad to get this because one of the best times I've ever had is like an SF. All of the ladies in our friend group, including Diana, they all went to go see Magic Mike XL and to watch you guys talk about it. And I hate, I wish I could get this on mic because like I just never hear a bunch of excited women talking about, about like a movie that's all Thanos. Or something like that. that's what it was equivalent to. Like that was so yeah. good. Hey, we had straight guys with us, and mm-hmm. the straight guys were raving too. Oh no, no, okay. it's a, it's a, it's a much it's better film than this. <laughs> no, no, but we, I didn't go see it with you, mm-hmm. and uh, and and so I was just, te- I was just listening, and so I, <laughs> I actually have, I think I've seen this, but I've seen Magic the second one twice, but I, I don't know if I've seen it in its entirety. Gabriel Iglesias, Kevin Nash. Uh, Shredder, baby. Uh, Adam Rodriguez, Olivia Munn, Joe Mangianello, uh, Cody Horn, Riley Kou, I don't know if I'm saying that right, Matt Boomer, Matthew McConaughey, Alex Pitcherfer, and Channing Tatum in Magic Mike. You're not just stripping, you are fulfilling every woman's wildest fantasies. You are the husband that they never had. You are that dreamboat guy that never came along. You are the one night stand that they get to have tonight with you on stage. I was hoping this was all a joke. It's pretty funny. Magic Mike, rated R, in theaters June 29th. Magic Mike is sold as being showgirls with dudes. (laughs) And it is not showgirls with dudes. It's an actual drama about working class people trying to pull their shit together. It's about and it's weird that these we have two movies that are going together uh the next movie as well is about realizing you got to grow up at some point and take real responsibility for yourself mm. but ma- both the magic mike movies though are about positive masculinity and we hear a lot about toxic masculinity mm-hmm. but these two movies especially xxl are about the good parts of masculinity, the things that we should embrace of like telling your friends that you're proud of them and supporting them in their ambitions mm-hmm. and 
you know, standing up for what's right and watching out for your buddies and, you know, having your word be bond. That's actually what this movie is about. Yeah, this is a, you know, G string to riches story. It's about a guy really applying himself, really dedicating himself and trying to overcome the situation he finds himself in. Magic Mike is a incredibly hard worker. He takes everything he does seriously. He has a lifetime goal. He's working towards achieving that. It's just the way he's doing that is through stripping. And I really liked films where we see the minutia of jobs, where they really get into, no, (laughs) this is how the job is actually done. And they do that in this film. They go in deep. You know, you see them shopping. You see them lifting weights backstage. You see them using a penis pump before (laughs) the show. (laughs) That shot is one of my favorite shots. All hail Steven Soderbergh for that shot where two people are having a conversation and, and there's there's this cylindrical syndri- thing on the other side of the screen from them and you just see you hear the pumping sound of the penis just start filling the shot. So I've never been quite clear. Penis pumps are real? I guess. Damn it. I really wanted Diana to be the authority on this. Yes, they're real. I think that there there are some that are used as a uh, erection aid yes. to okay. help get blood into the penis. But um, yeah, do they make some... your penis larger? I very much doubt it. You know, if there are any potential sponsors listening, we clearly need this some <laughs> yeah, clarification. Sorry. sorry, Austin Powers. I'm yeah. pretty sure they do not make your penis larger. All right. Well, yeah, you mentioned Soderbergh, and you know he's famous for saying that movies don't have to be about words. I think. If you Soderbergh this and made it black and white with no dialogue, just a musical score, I think you could follow this the plot to this film. Yeah. Gosh, I didn't think of that. Yeah, I, I think you could. I mean, it's about uh, a 19-year-old who just dropped out of college. He's couch surfing with his sister. He's working construction, which he doesn't really know how to do, and meets up with a fellow construction worker played by Channing Tatum, who then, uh, yeah, he's... A, full-time hustler he really is just never stopping trying to get some money to get ahead because he's got a plan and you know recruits him into uh the cock rock and kings of tampa <laughs> which is emceed <laughs> by matthew mcconaughey i think we are fully in the mcconaissance right here because everything he starred in for the last couple of years has sucked did you did you hear him talk about that recently like he just no. was so pissed that like he just kept being offered starring roles in rom-coms for a shitload of money and just mm. made the concerted effort. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. So I'm going to turn down like this really easy fucking money just to play me in a thing with no stunts and accept mm. any role, no matter how small in everything else. And this is, he had a tiny role like this in Wolf of, Wolf of Wall Street, but memorable. Moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So same, memorable. Same yeah. Bernie. We, we just talked about Bernie and here, he, he is in such ridiculous shape. And to see, oh, he left this and went straight to Dallas Buyers Club, where he's got to yeah. lose all of it, yeah. turn himself into a skeleton. I was like, oh, I'm so glad you captured this on film, McConaughey, before you lost it all. Because, my God, the bodies. My God. <laughs> and, and we should mention, this is based on, loosely based, but still based on Channy Tatum's real life. Yeah. He was a stripper, and mm-hmm. he's drawing the inspiration for this film. And, you know, there have also been so many more female stripper movies than male stripper movies. 
but I feel like Magic Mike and its sequels are the best stripper films of all time. Yeah, by, yeah, by a they, long like, shot. They, they get it. Like, what is the appeal for the audience? Mm-hmm. Like, why would anyone go watch this? Because either they're dancing or they're fake fucking. And whenever they're fake fucking, I'm just laughing my ass off because it's so ridiculous. <laughs> but it's also getting to the, the appeal, especially to women of like, here is a beautiful man who only cares about you and he wants to please you in every way. And he's going to show you how good he is at pleasing you. Mm. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would like, I would like that. And I, I can talk for hours about magic. Mike yeah. XL XXL in particular, because it, I, I like, I'm ready to write a thesis paper on it about yeah positive masculinity supporting each other pleasing women spreading joy i mean that movie is basically made by happy elves sprinkling happy dust everywhere they go <laughs> yeah. and this is much more of a drama i mean that's just a straight-up comedy and this is much much more of a drama like people's lives kind of suck and yeah uh, there's some serious pathos here it's not uh, it, it's like you feel for these characters yeah and I'm kind of I'm also kind of bummed that this doesn't line up next week. We're going to talk about talk about another movie where a player gets played. Ooh. And that's kind of what happens here, too. Like, obviously, Chanty, he can get any woman he wants. And oh, no, he's starting to catch feelings and realizing, like, no, you're you're just you're just a trick to that woman. You're not really a person. And it feels bad. Man. Like, yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. Sorry. But you are so pretty. Magic, magic, Mike. I got to send you. Uh, I got my yeah. Facebook it's timeline. Not what, it's not what you think it is. Yeah. It is not no. striptease for chicks. It is a straight up drama that just happens to have sexy. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of men missing out on the Magic Mike series in general because they think it's cheesecake, and it's not. Yeah. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's it's a great film. And it's based it on a, Channing Tatum's real life experience as a stripper in Florida, which is just <laughs> funny to remember that he that's that is how he came up. <laughs> trying his best to be a stripper in fucking Tampa. Holy shit. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. But it's, it's a big recommend and uh, our listeners should know that Diana requested. We podcast shirtless in honor of this film. And I did it. <laughs> unlike some other men on the podcast. Chris I didn't think she wanted to see that. I don't need to, Diana to be any more disgusted with me than she already is by default. I thought it was a reasonable accommodation under the Americans with Disabilities Act. <laughs> I would feel more comfortable if everyone else were topless, except for me. Uh, uh, well, you know what? I guess I could be topless if I just adjust the camera. You know, that's... <laughs> Although, actually, no, my hair is long enough now that I can do, hey. like, Adam and Eve hair. Yeah, so. you can do, like, a Lady Godiva stage play type shit. Exactly. Um, do we want to move on? And then another movie about the harsh realization that, like, it can't just be hookers and blow forever. No. Yeah. And, and I, yet, I, I mean, I have a difficult time calling this a bad movie at all. And no, I don't, I, I, I hate to be the Seth MacFarlane champion here. I really, I really, if you were to ask me, am I a fan? I'm like, eh, not really. But this is undeniable. There's something undeniable in this, in this film effort. And it's the only film effort I can say that about from Seth MacFarlane is also in this, along with Laura Vanderhoot. Uh, Jessica Stroop, Patrick Warburton, Joel McHale, Giovanni Ribisi, Seth MacFarlane, Mila Kunis, and Mark Wahlberg in. It's number one this week, Ted. I wish you could really talk. Nothing is more powerful than a young boy's wish. Mom, Dad, guess what? My teddy bear's alive. Hug me. But eventually, everyone grows up. Hey, Johnny, how about a beer, huh? On June 29th. What are you, like five years old? He's been my best friend since I was eight. Ah! Whoa. Ah! 
Hey, you're home early. What the hell is this? They're hookers, so it's fine. None of those are good jokes, but the movie is packed. Watched it this week. It's like, I don't think I love Family Guy until I watch Family Guy. I'm like, I'm laughing way more at this than I am other animated shows I claim to like better. Mm. And I think people don't respect the way Seth MacFarlane is funny, but it is there are undeniably funny moments in this film. If you don't like Family Guy, you will not like this film, period. You know, I I don't know. I almost want to go out on a limb and say... I prefer this to a lot of Family Guy because this yeah. actually does have heart to it. There, there is you do not really see with Seth MacFarlane shit it, at all. It's a well-constructed comedy movie, and the kind I don't think anybody else would have been allowed to make unless he was Seth MacFarlane. It's, but it's, it's solid art. It's unique. It's a special effects comedy film. Yeah, you know, uh, which is its own little genre. I mean, the idea that someone's magical childhood friend. Mm-hmm. grows up with them that's a solid idea and I, you know? I, I love the idea that like no this is a real wish that came true and ted became an international celebrity for being a teddy bear that came to life and is now in the waning days of his 80s it, it, it's such a nice yeah that like it, it i remember people like is stewie a baby or not and like who gives a shit <laughs> instead the movie just is like there everybody can yeah. see and hear from ted everyone knows who he is got it we're going to make jokes with a bear. Go. Well, <laughs> compare it to That's My Boy from last week. You know, that's mm-hmm. another failed 80s star, never really growing up. Is he going to grow up? But that had no heart. Mm-hmm. This <laughs> does have heart. Mm-hmm. This does care. And it's just a lot funnier. There are laugh out loud funny moments in this film in a way. And it's they're both hard R. Mm-hmm. These are yeah. both gross out comedies but this one's actually funny in a way that's my boy just was not right Mm -hmm. Uh, painting garfield over a woman's tits is one of the greatest things ever done with hollywood executive money like (laughs) noticing you could garfield's eyes look just like a buxom woman's press and if you paint the rest of them below it's that's a hilarious thing to bring to screen if you didn't see the flash gordon documentary about this like this is part of his resurrection. Like people recognize him now, oh, the star of Flash Gordon. When they because of the characters in the movie's obsession with Flash Gordon, it does a very Family Guy thing where guy comes out of the movie to become their friend and basically a character in the film. And it's it's and it's, it's hard. A kind of a turns out it's a problem that their neighbor's name is Ming. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard not to like this movie. It's undeniably funny, but in a way, I I feel like people don't seem to think Seth MacFarlane should be allowed to get away with jokes like this because they're kind of surreal and pop culture based but funny's fucking funny man and this works and the second movie for me felt a little worse but i'm genuinely looking for this is going to be a show on peacock now 10 years later that's true i think kind of like with magic mike where a lot of guys probably stayed away because they thought it was something else i think anyone who likes family guy probably already saw this so we don't need to recommend it but there's plenty of people who don't care for that style of humor i think would be pleasantly surprised yeah that Ted is not just, yeah, all hookers and blow all the time. It's not just crass and stupid. It actually has like some, yeah, there's some good naturedness in there. I, I feel feel that Mila Kunis in real life somehow is way cooler than her character here, but her complaints aren't just naggy girlfriend. Like, dude, yeah. grow the fuck up. I, we all had to have to at some point. There's there's a real heart to the movie beyond the family guy style gags. Again, no, not real cutaways, but... And I also love if you are a fan of Family Guy, Seth MacFarlane found a way to like really work in 
a lot of this, his standard voice actors into roles you don't normally... You, up until recently, you didn't see Alex Borstein as a human in anything. And he's sitting there next <laughs> to Ralph Garman, a voice actor on Family Guy, playing Mark Wahlberg's parents. There's a ton of cameos from people who just don't get any screen time. And in the, the same joy I get out of seeing a familiar stable of people in Adam Sandler movies, I sort of got with this. And, you know, hmm. that does require you being at least knowledgeable or a fan of the Family Guy universe. But whatever. It's, it's neat. It's cool. There's something really, at the end of this movie, like kind of charming that... Uh, is worth recommending. Not not my yeah. highest recommend of the week, but I did not expect to like re-like this because I just kind of passively watched it when it came out. And uh, yeah, were you in agreement on that? Like Ted's kind of surprisingly like holds up yes, okay. Surprisingly good. Yeah. yeah. Ted is Ted yeah, is worth I, I was primed to not like it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, all right. And this, you know, I watched it, I don't know, nine, ten years ago and then watched it again for this. And I was like, I remember just being like, it was pretty good. I'm like, oh yeah. This is really good. And it's a special effects movie that's not a special effects movie. It's a summer movie from 10 years ago on a $50 million budget that made half a billion dollars. Oh! And then every movie Seth McFarlane made after that is terrible, including A Million Ways to Die in the West. It's it's a pretty decent success story, and I think uh, it earned it. I like it. I recommend Mm -hmm. it. There! Oh, I feel like the comedy nerds are going to come after me. Good Lord. Oh, God. I don't even know how to segue. Television of 2012, June 24th through the 30th. Holy shit, the newsroom is 10 years old. Uh. Yeah. And from from this clip, I was so... I apologetically love Aaron Sorkin and have loved his stuff previously, but the show, when this trailer was unleashed, people kind of went nuts because it starred a moderate Republican newscaster who is called in in this scene the Jay Leno of news. Doesn't express opinions, doesn't offend anybody, admits he's voted Republican before, and won't give the interviewer a serious answer at this Q&A at a college. And the girl stands up and asks, uh, why is America the greatest country in the world? And he just gives, uh, I don't know, diversity, uh, prosperity. He's like, I want a real answer. And he just has a breakdown on stage. And I, I still love the breakdown. <laughs> he just yells, America's not the greatest country country in the world and here's why and with a straight face you're gonna tell students that america is so star-spangled awesome that we're the only ones in the world who have freedom canada has freedom japan has freedom the uk france italy germany spain australia belgium has freedom so 207 sovereign states in the world like 180 of them have freedom all right and yeah you uh sorority girl just in case you accidentally wander into a voting booth one day there's some things you should know and one of them is there is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're we're the greatest country in the world. We're seventh in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, third in median household income, number four in labor force, and number four in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending, where we spend more than the next 26 countries combined, 25 of whom are allies. Now, none of this is the fault of a 20-year-old college student, but you nonetheless are, without a doubt, a member of the worst period, generation period ever, period. So when you ask what makes us the greatest country in the world, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yosemite? (laughs) I I still love that rant. And you occasionally need some of those stats to talk to certain members of the American public. But the newsrooms, we were fascinated by this show because we hate watched it all the time. Mm-hmm. I got into Aaron Sorkin through Sports Night, a show that's not about sports, and I don't like sports. But it was a show about professional integrity and journalism and aspirational values that those people held. Michael Jordan's going to come on, and he wants to talk about his cologne for 10 minutes, and we can't ask him about this controversy and, like, Fuck them. Like, that was great. The newsroom 
is about a newsroom that is covering real stories that already happened. It's uh, It's my number one complaint. It's I was fine with liberal wish fulfillment of of white, but these were real events that happened and they're making fake dramatizations about how a newsroom would have covered them in a perfect world, but they didn't. And that's sort of the problem. What does this show exist for? It's well, so strange. He, he is coming off of Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Huh. That is his last television show where he created these horrible, horrible, god-awful sketches <laughs> and tried to portray them as like Shakespeare on television with all this depth and all this pathos and people mocked him justifiably mercilessly for that. <laughs> and so I think when he was planning this, he was just like, fine, I won't make up any uh, well, yeah, new stories. I'm going to do real news stories. Then no one can complain about my sketch comedy. I mean, my news stories. And that's what's in because yeah. some of these news stories, you know, in addition to the trauma they bring along, what is the fucking point? Of making a show out of wishing how the news were more responsible, covering yeah. real events. What well, is the point of that? Yeah, I mean, you, you're nailing it. It's it's West Wing, but for the media, where it's, you know, everyone has the best intentions and the people who don't get a good old talking to. And then they do, I guess. <laughs> and I don't understand why they made it real news that was very recent. You know, yeah. they're only a couple of years behind. Instead of just do a fictional version of the totally you don't have to have them kill the real bin laden you could do something similar I was more disturbed what they by did the... on the west wing and that was fine it was like two years after that what was that that lady senator in arizona new mexico was assassinated like shot mm -hmm. and not killed like this is a whole episode you're going to talk about how you would cover this as a, as a news organization if it had existed what is the fucking point of this i don't want to i don't want this how dare you use this as a plot line it just felt fucking what if <laughs> what if they Terrible. made it a period piece? What if they were like covering news from 20 or 30 years ago? I I, you know? I think we would accept yeah. that only if we were seeing yeah. a piece of history. Yeah. But this is a piece of alternate history, a branch of reality that never fucking happened, covering things from t like as recent as two years ago. It was just like, it was such a fascinating, in addition to the Sorkin-y, like, man, everybody lectures everybody else a lot. They always have the perfect monologue that mm -hmm. <laughs> everyone shuts up and lets them do it. Uh, doesn't overtalk them at all. Uh, has all that typical laughable Sorkininess, which I am, you know, not, not a fan of, but I'm aware of its ickiness. But I think the very, yeah, the very premise of the show was, there's still something disgusting about it that I really don't like. Really don't like. And I, I, I love West Wing. I think West Wing is great. Yeah, um, but you have to appreciate that it is a certain amount of wish fulfillment. Totally, totally. What yeah, if there were competent people, people in the White House? <laughs> yeah, everyone actually has, like, people's best interests at heart. But it, it, That'd be nice. Yeah, but I felt like that you learned more about how the White House may or may not actually operate. They'd break down real aspects of politics through metaphors where there's no metaphor here and there's nothing yeah. to learn. And do you think only exclusively CNN executives are watching the show? This isn't teaching anybody. And th this is what the newsroom does to me. Moving on yeah. more Adam yep. Sandler. Technically <laughs> the show anger management based off the I believe one of three movies. Jack Nicholson is a credited co-writer on anger management. Is this really based off that? Film? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, it is. And it's, it's, it was FX's, I want to say their failed model of the 1090 format. Uh, yep. Charlie Sheen was 
famously fired from Two and a Half Men, but he is technically the biggest TV star in the world. And they gave him 10 episodes of Anger Management, which if these are rated well, we will make 90 more in a row. And yep. so guaranteed you're gu- guaranteed syndication. And it turned out like there wasn't that much love. There wasn't enough love for the show to sustain a hundred episodes. And there's, it doesn't re-air anywhere because nobody cares about it. Yeah. This is, this is peak tiger blood, yeah. Charlie Sheen. Yeah. This is Charlie Sheen. When he's got off the crazy ad, people were like going, I think we're watching him kill himself on the air right now. Should we do anything? Sometimes. Pass the popcorn. I just want to say it's as simple as Adderall abuse. That's what Charlie yeah. Sheen was going through. I, I, I don't know. I want to speak to it. I just want to say that there was a lot of fascination with him. Oh, yeah. And I think that's why people were turning into Anchor Manage. They were going, wow, what type of crazy stuff are we going to get? And what we got was very sitcom-y. You know, yeah. it seems like he's playing the same character from two and a half men to a little larger degree, but not insanely so. And I feel like people wanted to watch him go batshit crazy. Yeah. But that wasn't the show. No, it's the by the book standard sitcom. I think I think if, I think FX still runs like two and a half men in blocks to this day. So I think they were just like, if the people stick around for this show, they will stick around for Charlie scene on an almost identical show. Laugh mm-hmm. track sitcom. Of course they will. Cynical. And I mean, if you've seen in the network world, shows can de- debut at number one and be canceled the next season. They made that impossible for themselves. <laughs> and uh, we're the, this is the most anybody's talked about Charlie Sheen's anger management in 10 years. Pretty much. Speaking... Yeah, there was a lot of talk about, like, is this the new model of television? No. 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 <laughs> no why, why would you throw that much money after something? guaranteed you are guaranteed to spend a hundred episodes worth of money no one for something that people could just get bored with in six months yeah no one's you gotta throw good money after bad who has been more wasteful with money than netflix they don't have any original shows to make it to 100 episodes because they know the audience interest doesn't may not last that long and uh anyway moving on to other perhaps regrettable choices. Um, <laughs> Russell Brand has a show, Brand X, that debuts on FX, and I never saw it. Um, I don't think anyone did. It's, I mean, two seasons, but it's 13 episodes of a talk show? Yeah. 13 episodes a season for yeah. a talk show. Yeah, the only Chris Rock show is something I'd recommend like that. Like, this is very topical and shouldn't should be on more than yeah. 10 times a year. Russell Brand, too. I'm not sure if you know, is... I... I, I only read a is kind of dabbling with anti-vax stuff like mm-hmm. if people trying comedians having the shift to make money on youtube during the pandemic if they're looking at their numbers there's money to be made in vaccine skepticism so some people who aren't outright anti-vax or anti-science dabble in that and i've watched russell brand do that in the last year or two and it's very disappointing yeah because a, a guy i did like um and thought have thought was funny before it's been 10 years, people, since we lost Dog the Bounty Hunter. I didn't mean to bring this up. Poor salt and old wounds. Oh, uh, no. R.I.P. Dog the Bounty Hunter. So, uh, yeah, he's not dead, folks. No, he's no. just canceled. Yes. Uh, just so you're clear. Dog the Bounty Hunter makes sense to me because it is professional wrestling, cops, and Jerry Springer. By your powers combined, I am Dog the Bounty Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good point. Yeah. Um, you know, Dog was part of a motorcycle gang. He was arrested a bunch of times, armed robbery. 
even first-degree murder for which he served five years. He then went on to start bounty hunting. In 2003, he went to Mexico to capture someone who was wanted in the U.S. while forgetting the minor detail that bounty hunting is illegal in Mexico. Mm. Yeah, you're not really allowed to cross international borders and kidnap people. Yeah, but it's th the that basis of the Sicario sequel. Yeah, he was that Max Factor heir who was assaulting people. So he was he date raped a bunch of girls. That guy fucking sucked. I don't mind him getting kidnapped. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I I, I, I get it. When that happened, and and then then to find out, okay, so the bounty hunter who totally broke the law is getting a TV show. Yeah, okay. because he got famous, and the Mexican he got released from Mexico on bail, but then he fled the country. The Mexican government then waited until his show was pretty much at its height and mere days before the statue of limitations was up, arrested Dog the Bounty Hunter. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, the show was a juggernaut success in the ratings, really popular, but all things come to an end. It came to an end and Dog the Bounty Hunter will have a pretty bad next 10 years. His <laughs> daughter will uh, get drunk and or high crash and kill herself the day before his wedding oh my god Did his wife just died? and and then his wife who he marries gets very painful cancer and dies oh no he, he's tried to come back a couple of times hasn't really worked out it was kind of like one of those lightning in a bottle type things but uh yeah this is this is him pretty much at his height when this show gets canceled because it's it's kind of all downhill from here for him in his life so and it doesn't help that oh he uh he had to make several public apologies for terrible things that he said and did um he uses that word that white people really there's no need for us to use don't use that word you know the one i'm talking about yeah it's honky no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> in other tv news the show formerly known as aqua teen hunger force and then later known as aqua unit patrol squad one changes its name yes. to aqua something you know whatever and these days, if you want to watch it, it's all just Aqua Teen Hunger Force yeah. because the creators come out and said, this was a stunt. We changed it for a stunt. It didn't mean anything. Yes. And it's the, I think it's its third of five titles of the exact same show. Yeah. Aqua TV show show is in there. too. Aqua yeah. TV. It's like they just they hate anyone with a DVR. That I think yeah. it was. Why are you doing this to me? It's how. I think when you write the book in Adult Swim, it'll just be all funny anecdotes like this that they were kind. People on Adult Swim were allowed, and under its original vision, were allowed to do things completely antithetical to keeping viewers happy, playing jokes on them, not airing things when they're supposed to, airing completely different things when they're announcing other things, things you should never do on television, which made it like captivating to watch. Uh, I don't have cable, so I don't do it anymore, but I love my Adult Swim. Then moving on into Gams, games. We got uh, The Amazing Spider-Man on fucking everything. I think even Wii yeah. U at this point. Maybe. Maybe there's something coming out. All right. Something's coming next week. Uh, but yeah, this is pretty much the most forgettable part of Spider-Man's long, long career. Inner Jay Sherman. It should be the mediocre Spider-Man. This game is really the amazing Spider-Man 1.5 in that it's set after the film. Mm-hmm. And it can serve as a epilogue to the Amazing Spider-Man film, uh, although its continuity is 
completely thrown away and disregarded from here on out. It makes the cardinal mistake of having bad web swinging in a Spider-Man game. You can swing from the sky with no buildings around you, which is just stupid. What's what's the point I of mean, that? And yeah, I mean, that's so far-fetched once we get <laughs> I, I think it's just, it more is telling a story of uh, Spider-Man was so popular and when Marvel was struggling, they sold the exclusive rights to it to so many weird places that were kind of out of its control, including movies and video games. And Activision had the exclusive Spider-Man license and they kind of saw their biggest success when they released a game to tie in with a movie. The games they made non-affiliated with movies in between didn't fare as well, but they're also big and hard games to make. So they kind of started making smaller games that may not be as satisfying for the, you know, my, one of my favorite superheroes of all time. And I don't think this is egregiously bad or anything. It's just that like the movie didn't blow a lot of people's skirt up. And uh, this didn't reinvent anything about Spider-Man gaming, which Activision did defi help define. So I got I got buddies who worked in the game; they can tell you stories. I can tell you a story about this game. Holy shit! Oh, real quick, could we just play the voice acting line from the Spider-Man game Let's because do it. it amazes me that in 2012 it's still a triumph if you get good voice acting in your video game. <laughs> No more games! Tell me what you're planning to do with the gas the scientists made you! You cannot stop the free <laughs> radicals! Anarchy lives inside everyone, and we are gonna set it free! That is not a big bad, that is... Listen to Spider-Man's response. Crazy to Tell me what I wanna know, or you're gonna be street pizza! Oh, oh no. Yeah, I, I, <sighs> that wasn't a big bad, that was just a, like thug in a knit hat <laughs> never freedom okay but moving on because th this is a game i love talking about because i didn't want to take the appointment with it when it was announced spec ops was a budget series ripping off medal of honor before call of duty was even popular and then 2k got the brand and like we're gonna make a big real game out of this when they're the demand for fucking modern warfare games was very well served and you know, it's I don't love playing rah rah go America shoot ever shoot all the brown people type of games, and I really wasn't looking forward to it. And I walk into Spec Ops: The Line, and it is a game pretty much about dealing with war trauma and the horrible things you're doing on behalf of your government, or if you're actually doing them. And I wrote so glowingly about it in the TV commercial. The character in the game slides down my pull quote in 3D. If you look it up on YouTube. <laughs> Wow. I said it's because I I said like I didn't expect any of this to happen and there's this mission where they accidentally set off a white phosphorus grenade and have to walk around these corpses that they semi accidentally obliterated whether or not they were up to anything bad or not and it's just something I've never seen in a war game and we did a video game apocalypse with the writer saying like how the fuck did you get away with doing this no other game has ever approached war like this and there's no multiplayer component maybe there is i can't remember it's not a pleasant ordeal it's a complicated real ptsd laden story about war and he i think his short line was like nobody was paying attention and by the time we got <laughs> things going it was too late to change a bunch of this stuff but yeah there's no way a mainstream studio would greenlight a game like spec ops the line ever again and it's worth is picking this up the only first person shooter that is best known for its story. I guess I would guess it has. I mean, 
There are Call well, of Duty I, uh, obsessives out there, but I've played every one, and if you ask me to name more than two characters, I could never do that. Never do that. This is weird. And it just takes place in Dubai, which at that time, I love the statistic, there are more construction workers living here than people yeah. because they're building this fucking weird paradise in the desert assuming people will come the largest indoor wave pool indoor ski resort it's totally pure opulence built on oil money thinking it's going to become a vacation destination i think it sort of is coming into that but like it wasn't then it was a incredibly immaculate ghost town and is a very creepy weird setting for a game yeah Yeah. i hear about lots and lots of video games and i have trouble differentiating Mm -hmm. some of them you know, I've had people try to explain Metal Gear Solid plot to me. And it's oh, like, don't, don't so, do that to yourself. <laughs> but yeah, I heard about this one from non-video game yeah. people. Of like, this is like an interactive movie and it's serious. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Bitch. Yeah. And you watch them. You watch your, the, your group squad group like they, as they mentally deteriorate as you play um, in ways that are not Bioshocky fun. It is just <laughs> real guys suffering through through the suffering they're causing. It is very, very rare for video games to be an exploration of a mental state, yeah. an internal state of being. It's not something video games do. Only Psychonauts does well. And then also on iOS this week, Where's My Perry is out. Phineas <laughs> and Ferb mm-hmm. spinoff of the popular game Where's My Water. <laughs> yep. It's uh, he's he doesn't care where the water is. He's a platypus. He can live in it. He's he's a platypus wearing a hat. That's that is also interesting to think about. Ten years removed, how popular "Where's My Water" was. It had a popular mascot, and Disney cared so little about its game division. I think they pulled all of those games. They're just like not. Now nah, we're not going to update them for new platforms. Like everybody had this. Kids had plushies of this. What are you doing, Disney? This isn't a very Disney thing to do. You know, all we got left to tell you about is who died and who lived during this period. We got a birthday quiz for you, but first, let us rattle off a little bit of plugs before we give you one last shot of fun. Uh, Patreon.com slash LazerTime. Five bucks. Exclusive shows. Helps us out. We had some audio issues last week. That's that's what helps us correct those and keep that from becoming an ongoing problem. So we do appreciate your patience with that. Die. where can people find you? You can find me on the Twitter at ListenNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast. That's 302010podcast. Next week, we got some serious stuff. We have the Affirmation movie about exactly. about a player who gets played. Oh. I didn't mention it stars Eddie Murphy. Oh. We also have a Stone Cold Sports classic hmm. that helped give us Tom Hanks back. We'll find out if there's crying in baseball. Wow. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. And also, we have Men in Black 2 that we've already mentioned. And also, we have Amazing Spider-Man. And in the words of Jay Sherman, give the wife a little pickle tickle. I love that. That's so fucking gross as a line. That's John Lovitz in the Good Own. Sorry, you all are confused. I just love saying. Oh, I the Powerpuff Girls movie came up as an example of movie spinoffs. We get to talk about that, too. Oh, neat. I uh, would love to go and watch that. really happy about A League of Their Own. <laughs> Unbelievably great film. And, uh, yeah. Jared, what about you, brother? I'm taking a sabbatical from social media i will be back in august but if you wish to twitter me on the twitter i'm j-r-r-a-l-l-s and i will see you in august oh and you will also see jr uh we're gonna have a new episode of laser time going up all about based on basically classic corner how 40 years ago was the best year for movies in i'd say all of history yeah all if, of if history. you're a nerd 1982 is when something you love came out. Mm-hmm. I don't know what, 
but something that you adore came out in like a hundred day period. Every genre either finds its peak of money or influence, like the most influential movies ever made. Things that were never supposed to happen get made. Huge failures that go on to define industries and companies get made. It's just, it is crazy. Everything is notable. Bonkers, y'all. You got to listen. Notable. And uh, cannot wait to t- for you to hear that. Uh, it'll be on that laser time. Patreon.com slash laser time is how you support us. Die who died during this period of 302010. We lost some real good ones this week. 2002, we lost John Entwistle, who's only 57. Um, cocaine plus heart attacks, bad for you. One oh. of the greatest bassists of all time. He's the bassist okay. for The Who. Oh, okay. Think about the big solo in my generation, and it is uh, amazing. Yeah, that really sucked. Uh, I'm a huge fan of The Who and Junk and Whistle in particular. And we also lost Rosemary Clooney, who's 74. You probably know from what, White Christmas and singing Mambo Italiano. You've seen that. I've heard that it. song a billion times. I'm offended as an Italian. Uh, you should be. And then, <laughs> and then in uh, 2012, that's uh, so when we lost Nora Ephron, who is 71. I, I was shocked to find out how old she was. Yeah. That 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 she basically broke into the big time into the movie industry in her like mid forties, mm-hmm. which seems that is not a very common story, especially for female directors and writers. Nope. So I mean, she did When Harry Met Sally, Silkwood, My Blue Heaven, Sleepless in Seattle, uh, Julie and Julia, You've Got Mail. Yep, pretty it's pretty serious stuff, man. Yeah. Uh, one of the highest grossing female directors of all time. And then this is so sad. We also lost Lonesome George, who was the last Pinta Island tortoise in the Galapagos. He was probably 101. Wow. Uh, he had been the only one of his species that we knew of for more than 30 years. And they kept wow. trying to mate him with someone who was similar. And she laid eggs and it just it never worked out. You know, he was he was the last one. Uh, now. Nick Sar should make a movie out of him. The, the yeah. last Galapagos tortoise? Fuck yeah, you yeah. should. Oh. Yeah, well, I mean, it might disturb the children when they find out that uh, he's since been taxidermied and he's in a museum. What does <laughs> what does boredom look like to a hundred year old turtle? <laughs> I don't know. Like how I, I always wondered. Yeah, what's their memory like? Do yeah, they what's remember? Going on? Oh man, you remember when I found that that half eaten sandwich like seventy years ago? Yeah. God, that was a good. Thing. I should eat again. Mm. I, lo- I love it. Where was that book I was reading that story? They would find those Galapagos turtles and then bring them on their ships and turn them upside down. They needed so little food and water and they didn't have refrigeration, but it's how they could keep meat for months at a time just by torturing these fucking tortoises. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then um, with all that out of the way, we got to get in. Who's born? Oh, who was born? Because it's the b- 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 birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Make Turning, this, make this hard for me. All right. <laughs> Turning fifty-six, he was born in Evanston, Illinois, on June twenty-eighth, nineteen sixty-six, into an Irish Catholic family. He graduated. Wait, what? Where was he born? Did you say it again? Evanston, Evanston. Illinois. Okay, got it. He graduated. From Evanston Township High School in 1984, where he attended it with Jeremy Piven. I think, no, I, I can probably, I think I can get this. Okay. He auditioned to play Marty McFly, but did not get the role. I definitely know who this is now. I want to see really? if I can, I, I want to see if I can tell JR without telling him or without All telling right. Diana so he can keep going. 
I'm okay. going to say the names of characters he played Ooh. because seeing the movies would be too easy. Interesting. How about okay. this? He, ha- he wrote one of my favorite movies that he's in. I don't know what he wrote. I will confirm with if Diana guesses it, I will tell you what okay. that movie is. In 2000, he played Rob Gordon. That's the movie. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um... Craig Schwartz, Agent Vince Larkin, oh, Martin cool. Q. Blank. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. It's um, uh, John Cusack. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And that was High Fidelity, that movie, mm-hmm. which he co-wrote. Um, yep. And uh, Craig Schwartz was who he played oh, yeah. in Being John Malkovich, Con Air, Agent <laughs> Vince Larkin, Martin Q. Blank, and Gross Point Blank. And finally, I was going to say Lloyd Dobler. Saying anything. Uh, from the early 2000s, we have The Contract, Grace is Gone, 1408, Martian Child, War Inc., and the 2009 film, 2012. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I like my John Cusack for some reason. It always seemed like I a good guy to me. Not know that he went to high school with Piven. That's they're in, I think, twelve yeah, movies in together, a bunch of movies together. And, including when they're really when they're really young. Uh, yeah. yeah, I didn't know he auditioned for Marty McFly. I, I'd love to see that audition. That, that there. I mean, I'm not saying I got drunk and watched it last night and it's perfect and no one else needs that role. But Cusack would have been really interesting in that. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Are you talking about the role that has gone to? Academy Award winner Michael J. Fox. Excuse me. They just announced who is getting the honorary Oscars oh, this year, and oh. Michael J. Fox will be receiving the Gene Hirschhold Humanitarian Award. Oh, oh that's nice. The star that's of uh, Secret to My Success and Doc Hollywood, Michael J. Fox, yes. and nothing else. Indeed, but more importantly, Peter Weir is finally getting a fucking Oscar. Oh, he doesn't have a fucking Oscar. He doesn't have a fucking that Oscar. Dude's... The guy who gave us Truman Show and Dead Poet Society and Witness and Master and Commander Gallipoli. and Gallipoli and Picnic and Hanging Rock. Doesn't have a bad movie. Not one bad movie. He literally has never made a bad movie. Even Green Card, a rom-com I actually enjoyed. Peter Weir is finally getting yeah. an Oscar. All right, so good. That's, <sighs> film Twitter has been very happy the last couple of days. Good, good, good. Um, God damn it. Chris Twitter is happy. I hope there's not a Chris yeah, Twitter. and I'm happy for Michael J. Fox. I think that's really nice. And thank you guys so much for listening. Again, patreon.com slash laser time. Uh, we do appreciate that. We've had a couple hardships here, so I just want to thank my co-hosts as well for like rough scheduling and equipment stuff. So thank you, JR. Thank you, Diana. Yeah, uh, well. Let's close out with uh, Tennessee by Arrested Development. Their second most famous song. It's on the charts this week. Great song off a great album, man. Mm-hmm. That's when I listened to a whole bunch. I really did think, like, I really like this Arrested Development album. There's going to be a whole lot more of this for the rest of my life, and there really wasn't, was there? Like, not a lot of music like this. So it feels very, it's, it's one of those, like, it should be acknowledged as m- the most 90s music, because it kind of didn't exist mm-hmm. before or after that decade. But yeah, Arrested Development, taking us out with Tennessee. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. So Lord, I ask to be my guide and force the truth. For some strange reason it had to be. He guided me to Tennessee.